0: Welcome everybody to the show. We are your host, Chase and Miles. We are at the Lucky Duck. Miles, who do we got today? Tell everybody of the interwebs.
1: Yeah, let's do it. So today's guest comes from the Golden State. He's another one of the original Lucky Ducks who made his way out of Florida. He was the lead singer of a bunch of bands you've probably never heard of. You may know him from the Apple original The Morning Show. <laughs> He's working his way up the Hollywood ladder. He has a mustache. This is Cole Gosley.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome you. to the show. I'm used to a round of applause, but that's okay.
0: We'll put, we'll okay. put it in post. Photography. Yeah. And we do think everybody at home, so please put a round together. Yeah. Yeah. Hands yeah, together. You. Should we pause? I can hear it now. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. there it is. I can just imagine it in the background. Yeah. What's up? How are you enjoying Colorado thus far?
2: Colorado is beautiful. Um, yeah. there are aspects of it that remind me of LA, I like mm. the synchronized drinking. Um, yeah, very brotherly of yeah, you. We try. Um, yeah, there are aspects that remind me of LA, specifically, you know, the mountainous terrain. That's yeah. it's beautiful. Uh, and then other parts of it, like it's cleaner, it feels cleaner. A lot of homeless people. There are a lot of homeless people in LA. Yeah. yeah. I fortunately don't, um, live near a large metropolis mm-hmm. uh, any of the larger metropolis yeah and you're not metropolis, homeless, i'm think, not homeless either that wait, is right i'm I been, very okay. close at times um, <laughs> hey, yeah are we all
1: <laughs> have you stepped in poop yet
2: um no Humans. thankfully okay, right. cool. not since I, I moved there i mean plenty of times growing up but i mm-hmm. step in
0: my own poop sometimes so yeah even that's weird even when there is no homeless problems where i live
2: yeah are you indoors or outdoors
0: um mostly indoors sounds okay. like yeah. a fetish thing that's good um you know, I, I, I. Wow, I feel attacked now. That's mm-hmm. well. What hey, else would no I should be judging. open to pooping in well, my own home and stepping on it as I please. Wait, is it your poop or, like, mostly mine? Okay, mm. mostly it's it's so it's seventy percent mine, twenty percent my wife's, and then ten percent unknown.
2: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Mine. You might want to figure out that house. unknown. Yeah. Um True. Get some um, tests no. done on that. Yeah. yeah, is it like a leaky faucet thing? Like you, could be. You just you need some tightening.
0: Um, mostly, I just pipes. don't believe in wiping or bathrooms. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I don't right? have any bath. So mine's a um, single family home. Um, uh-huh. It's a three zero. Uh huh. So three bedrooms, no bathrooms. Nice.
2: Good luck. Resale well,
0: value is going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hoping for the t- yeah top percentile.
2: Um, my my sister dated this guy um, some years back now, and he would wipe his ass after using the bathroom and then throw the toilet paper in the trash can as opposed to the toilet nice Mm. and so my grand scheme prior to their relationship imploding was to just gift him a trash can with a toilet seat lid like that. that just awesome. seemed like, you know, yeah. cut out the middleman, right? Did
1: he, was he foreign or something? Yeah. Yes. They do okay. that I
2: don't want to disparage any sort of cultural groups, but yeah. mm-hmm. I think he, he definitely came from a place where plumbing wasn't as good as yeah. we have it here in right. the United right. States.
0: Is that a cultural yeah. thing? Does it be, at what point does it become a cultural thing where they're like, no, now we have good plumbing, but I still like to throw it in the trash. That can is true. Maybe I maybe I, I misspeak
2: up. when I say it's a it's a cultural thing, and maybe it's more so just you know you come from it. a yeah uh, a, a second, yeah. second rate a the second rate, second the world smell. place. Yeah,
0: I remember going uh, to some like uh, touristy place in the Caribbean where you had to do that. And God, the smells.
2: Shit in a trash can? True. No.
0: You shit, and then you had to throw your, th- like um, you were saying, done that at home you had to wipe out. and throw it away in the trash can. That's how it
1: mm-hmm. was when we, when we went to Thailand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They oh. had
0: hoses, so you could hose yourself off. Yeah. Um,
1: and then for the tourists, Four Poor they, man's bidet. I was
2: going to say, do they not have just bidets? Yeah. But right. that's
1: too fancy. No, it's like a hose. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm-hmm. No offense. Get a little freaky, too. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Well. bidets- I That's, guess, you know,
2: it, it can move. Yeah. You know, you can take yeah. it to different Give places. A exactly. yeah. Yeah. Usually yeah. they, they yeah. put
1: uh, a head on it, so, you know, you can... So you
2: can change it to like
0: mist or geyser, yeah, yeah,
2: like depending on.
0: I'm a mist guy. It's a choose your
2: own adventure. I'm a, part,
0: I'm a mister, and then a straight jet stream right afterwards. Yeah, so you got to get a little moist before you get real intense.
2: Mm. Yeah, what the fuck are Warm we talking up to? about? I don't know, but this is a great start. This is a great start.
0: <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's go back to L.A. How long have you been out there?
2: I moved to L.A. in August of 2018. So I graduated from. Um, my MFA program at Florida State, nice, Good where moves. we all met each other, um, mm-hmm. and moved about a week, almost a week to the day of graduating, uh, out to LA, and mm-hmm. I've been there since. Nice, yeah.
0: And um, this is you are effectively wor- trying to work your way up to directing and writing. Is that the is that the dream goal?
2: More so, so just the writing. Yeah. Um. Okay. In fact, I would actually like to write and act. Uh, as opposed to directing i'm not um i should say i'm not opposed to directing but it's never been like a track of mine that Mm -hmm. i've thought this is what i really want to do yeah there's a lot of pressures that come with that when you write it the script is just there and then you know it, it, it is your baby so you do want to see it through the process so much but there's far less management um, that you have to do with mm-hmm. a script.
1: With, with yeah. script writing, is it usually like you are your own agent, you write a script, and then you uh, you propose it to somebody? Or are you, are you working for a company that's asking you to write something?
2: Uh, it can happen multiple ways. Um, I, be it that I've only been in L.A. for so long, and I don't really have much name recognition, right? And I am working my way up this ladder. Uh, I have little experience in this part of how it's done. But I know... Um, from the periphery, that you know, it can happen numerous ways. You can be hired on to write somebody's story. Um, you can just write your own and go out to pitch. To the question of you know being your own agent, there are agents in the industry that you you know hire to represent you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a big um, well prior to COVID nineteen, there was a big strike and a lot of writers fired their agents because agents were finding backdoor ways of being producers on projects. So they were actually taking in more than probably what they deserve to take in. Yeah. Typically the way it breaks down is that an agent will take 10% of your commission. You'll have a manager that will take 10% of your commission and you'll have a lawyer that'll take 5% of your commission. You don't have to have all of them. What's the lawyer for? The lawyer basically is contractual stuff. I mean, they're looking Mm -hmm. out for your best interests and a lot of writers now, a lot of creatives are, actively only hiring on lawyers, entertainment lawyers, because they're not really making the deals for you so much. Like You you can make your own deals, in a sense. Um, Once you have so much name recognition, people will come to you with projects and wanting to work with you. Mm -hmm. Um, But manager and lawyer are kind of the two areas where most writers, I think, are comfortable. And with the agents, they're less personable. uh, And they're really mostly about the money.
0: I feel like at first it's it's almost um, better to do it on your own, get your hands dirty, and then maybe once you have a lot um, coming in, it's kind of unmanageable because you're like writing for five different projects, and then you can't handle the, well, I need to procure work for the next six months, mm-hmm. but I'm busy doing what I'm doing now, so the manager can be out there like, you know, negotiating things for you, talking on your behalf, bringing you deals. Maybe, maybe at that stage, it's more beneficial. I mean, obviously, yeah. At, and and also, you know, so my, do they come and do you have to do like an upfront fee or is it just solely based off commission? So could you have like Chase working as your manager? Um, I don't make a nickel till you make a nickel, or is it like I'm just gonna get like 70 clients and they all pay me a upfront free fee and then I get commissioned too?
2: It's absolutely the back end deal. Like yeah. whatever I make, you get 10% of that. Mm-hmm. There are people who have tried to con the system and con like new creatives moving out and saying like, pay me three thousand dollars upfront and I'll find you a bunch of jobs never fall for that yeah that's like that's a huge scam mm-hmm. it's a big problem in the industry mm-hmm. yeah uh, a lot of people get desperate because they're like i've been trying my hand at this for years mm-hmm. you know or they just so badly just want to fast track their experience mm-hmm. yeah. that they'll uh, seek out representation wherever you- but it's definitely the relationship is you work for me mm-hmm. that's what it's supposed to be
1: right? yeah do you um so like at what point would you get an agent so if you're i'm just thinking if you are and maybe this doesn't happen to, until you have an agent and you're established but if you're writing for a TV show um and it, it's usually a full-time job right absolutely and yeah. so if if you <clears throat> i mean if the show is successful maybe it's going a couple of years 3 4 years whatever mm-hmm. um w- what's the agent there for
2: yeah so your hope is really that um you know you have if you're on a show for that long You know, if you've been hired onto a show, you have some sort of representation already. That's typically how your material is being sent around. At the earliest stages, your way into like a writer's room is often going to be either as like a writer's PA or a writer's assistant, and then hoping that the showrunner in those rooms gives you the opportunity to write. Mm -hmm. So then you'll have some credit to your name in that regard. Obviously, this happens different ways. Somebody writes a great script, and it becomes sort of the sensation throughout the industry. Uh, but the most common way is definitely get into a writer's room as an assistant, as a PA, which is ap- absolutely one of the hardest jobs to find. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much word of mouth, and that's kind of how the industry operates, yeah, uh, anyways. You know. yeah, yeah, who you know, your, your networking, or... nepotism is, I mean, mm-hmm. rampant. And that doesn't just,
0: that's, that's not isolated just to this industry. Right. I mean, absolutely not. um, Being a lawyer, it's all
2: about who you know. Right.
0: Um, uh, You know, where you went to school, maybe. Right. Uh, A club of people that you belong to.
2: Right. Um, Yeah. But to your point about, you know, when do I get an agent um, and what are they sort of doing over the course of that series, my contract might only be for one season um, and then they come back and they say, we really liked your writing. We really liked what you did with the show. We want you to continue with this season now that it's proven to be a success. So then the agent is negotiating more money for me, Mm -hmm. more benefits for me, because ultimately more money for me is more money for them. Mm -hmm. So locking yourself into a series, you know, five seasons, what have you, um, it's sort of dangerous to do up front because then you've stripped yourself of that negotiating power mm-hmm. um so it doesn't often happen yeah
0: that's interesting so yeah and i also think it's not beneficial for uh the studio mm-hmm. because uh i just locked in five years of this guy that sounded nice and he did an okay job but right. like ended up sucking towards the end of the season right and now i have i'm contractually obligated to work with him for another season yeah, yeah.
2: um i would say it's probably yeah near zero that uh amount of times that that actually happens yeah what can happen is that me as a creator i can bring a series to a studio and they can sign on for three seasons right up front that does not necessarily mean that i'm going to be on that show for three seasons though Mm -hmm. but if they carry on that show because they bought it from me Mm -hmm. i can maintain a connection to that show and maintain making money from that show yeah get
0: like a royalty uh, yeah essentially
2: essentially, that's what it is Mm -hmm. yeah as awesome. a you know producer or whatever
0: yeah and your your name's probably going to always be on the credits Right, no matter what Absolutely. you're actively working on that season or yeah right. that that makes sense um it's really interesting
1: is um, that pretty typical for <clears throat> excuse me most uh, roles like director assistant uh, actors
2: any, kind of anything to do with that or do some of them get multi-year contracts certainly some of them get multi-year contracts without talking too specifically like a show that my company is working on you know we have a-list stars on a show and the negotiation is always like how long am i attached to this Mm -hmm. you know what am i going to contractually agree to um so that can happen with the actors it can happen with the directors and oftentimes in television you have a revolving door of directors so it's rare i mean you'll see this mostly with limited series um where it's a single director On every episode Um, but with an ongoing tv show you usually have on a season of course depending on the length of the season how many episodes there are but say for like a nine episode season you'll have three or four directors Mm -hmm. because of the way that they have to break things up into blocks you have a first block which is like episode one through three and then four through six and then seven through nine, Mm -hmm. something like that. You want to be doing your pre-production on the second block while they're shooting the first block so that you can just roll right into that next one. So having the same director on an entire series can become challenging and long term. It just takes longer. And the longer it takes, the more money it takes because you're having to, um, maintain your crew. Yeah. You know, um,
0: kind of it. Do you think, uh, uh, sometimes then the quality of the show can lack because of a inconsistent um, vision from episode to episode.
2: That's actually, I mean, that's an interesting point. It's actually the task of the directors coming into an already existing show Mm -hmm. that they, they get debriefed on what the style of the show is. Mm -hmm. So take a show like flash or arrow. There's a very like specific aesthetic to those shows. So a director will come in and they'll be told like, this is how we typically shoot our episodes. Mm -hmm. Then they're given the leeway of putting their own sort of signature on it here or there. Yeah. But oftentimes the task of the director on an existing series is to come in and, um, you know, be able to capture what it looks like, Mm -hmm. you know, what's already been done, the format that's already there. Yeah. The challenge. Yeah.
0: I've noticed like, um, like even like a show like House of Cards where Ron Howard will come in, he'll mm-hmm. direct the first two episodes and then you start to see a l- it kind of, the pacing of it's a little different mm-hmm. or like the way it's shot is slightly, the tone of it's a little off. Um, even like uh, Lovecraft Country, I've noticed that right. some episodes just seem a, a lot different the way the, the pacing of it or the the style of it is done um, because they're just different directors.
2: Absolutely. Different styles. And that show is a great example of, um, something that's governed a series that is really governed by the showrunner mm-hmm. um, Misha Green she's I mean solely based off of that alone she's seems to be an incredible showrunner mm-hmm. um, and she just directed for the first time on that series actually oh wow um, and you know without spoiling the episode it's it's the one where we sort of see Atticus um, take on his ability mm-hmm. um, something presents itself uh, so she directed that episode, um, and it was phenomenal. Um, but I think it really is the case in television that the showrunners are the ones that are dictating most of what the show is supposed to look like. Yeah. And what does what that job encompass? Showrunning? Yeah. Um, that's a great question because, I mean, I can only speak so far about that job. I've not witnessed it firsthand, but oftentimes it's the person who's overseeing the writer's room so they're the 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 person in charge when you know the four five six seven eight writers on a series on a season are getting together in a single room um and they're constructing what the arc of the series and the season is gonna be. They're the ones that are managing who's gonna write which episode um doling out those jobs they're the ones that are most closely um associated with the studios and the producers and talking to them and, um, really going to bat for their writers. They'll also oftentimes be the last, uh, word on a script. Like they'll take in what one of their staff writers has written and they'll do the final like punch up on it. So So that makes sure that there's a cohesive voice
0: or a newspaper, right?
2: Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. I would
1: imagine that probably, especially for like dramas, um, keeping your writer staff once you have a a good one Mm -hmm. um, in that show running position would be really important. I mean, for other things like uh, comedies where the episodes are kind of less uh, cohesive, maybe it's a little bit different, but uh, like bringing up a show like house of cards where there's, I mean, I I think from the beginning of the show, there's kind of like a path of where Frank and the rest of the people are going. Mm -hmm. And if you were bringing now bringing in other writers, um, or don't have like a clear plan uh, as the showrunner, then it could really turn into a shitty series. Absolutely.
2: And I think it's a case by case basis because some series, when they go out to pitch, they are pitching, you know, here's where we see it in season five. Like here's, here's the extent of season one that we can give you at least a single season And then here are very broad strokes where we want to take this series. So a showrunner or the creator of a series might not know beat for beat where they want to go with this. And it might be that it changes completely. Um, Is that based on what the audience likes? It can be based on what the audience likes. It could be based on what the studio and producers um, see as the future of the series. It could just simply be based on the creator themselves at a certain point saying like, let's go in a different direction. Here's another idea for this series. Oftentimes a season will be written, um, produced, made put on TV, and then they don't even know what season two is exactly, so they have to go back in to pitch a season two to be picked up for that season two mm-hmm. um, and what
0: I'm wondering because I always see at different points um, and it's seems inconsistent of where a show will get renewed. so I'm wondering if like if there's a common point if like you're already shooting season one, the writing has been done for the most part. I know there's probably like some ad lib writing on the set that that happens maybe. Yeah. And then do you have like a, uh, the next season being like written behind that as, or is, is it, is there a different spot within production that it's being written?
2: Usually it's between seasons. Like when a season goes to air, Mm -hmm. that's when they start writing the next season.
0: Cause I've seen, I've seen instances where, where, um, they air episode three. On TV, and then it's like it's already been picked up for mm-hmm. another season, right?
2: So it's a numbers game. Okay, um, you know, if a series has an overwhelming audience approval, mm. overwhelming viewership number, They're then like, they see oh, the yeah. investment, <laughs> they know that this is going to bring people back. Yeah, um, if a series is cheap to make and is bringing in a mild average, a mild number of audience yeah. viewers, then they think you know it's worth rolling the dice on a series that costs a hundred million dollars to make and the viewership is like, uh, we're not quite sure. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of data research that goes into uh, a series on the tail end of it as well. You know, reaching out to viewers and asking just questions about the series. What'd you think? Um, you know, what do you think was missing? What would you like to see in another series? And then it's a, I, I think we see it most Prevalently with streamers like Netflix where a series will seem to perform really well, but then season two or season three they're canceling it and it's oftentimes because of the inundation of series like there's just so much to watch mm-hmm. viewers don't keep up and if you don't keep up with the shows that you like, mm-hmm. then those shows are going to go up on the chopping block. Like,
0: it's so it's a, it's so um, disappointing mm-hmm. like the OA mm-hmm. gets canceled on absolutely, on Netflix. And One of my just favorite like, shows. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this has such a. Ma- it, well, it seems on on the on the surface that it has such a cult following or such a, a loyal following to the show, right. um, and it doesn't seem like it's a very high production. I mean, there's nothing fantastic, fantastical happening besides like where they're like tripping in that house in the right. second season.
2: Well, absolutely. I think to your point that that um, term cult following is sort of the nail in the coffin sometimes because yeah. a cult following typically uh, assumes that it's it's not a large following, mm-hmm. but it's a beloved following. Very like dedicated people are, fans. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And for a show like The OA... You've got a large cast. The ensemble is expensive to mm-hmm. keep. And then the production costs of shooting in major cities, a lot of exterior shots. So you've got a lot of permitting, mm-hmm. um, large crews. You're not just on a stage for the majority. I mean, season one, probably far cheaper than season two. Season yeah. two, they were a lot more out in the world. Yeah, they
0: they expanded their universe right. a little bit more. But that's
2: also a series that the at least the creators, the co-creators, uh, have said up front like we know where this is going we Mm -hmm. know where the how this is going to end and I think that is what upsets people most is when they hear things like that like this thing clearly has a direction Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like while I might feel lost in the plot at times I do feel like they know what they're doing Mm -hmm. there are series that get picked up and you're watching it and you can kind of tell like the writers had to fill the season with lost yeah exactly so the case with lost Uh, Damon Lindelof pitched Lost as three seasons, and that's what he saw it as. And when the viewership numbers came back in and ABC was like, this thing is killing the game, Mm -hmm. they went back to him and they said, we need six seasons of this. Yeah, And he's like, I don't (laughs) fucking have six seasons of this. (laughs) So he had to construct three more seasons. And in the middle of Lost is when they had the writer's strike. Mm -hmm. So I remember. They're filling the room for that show was an incredible challenge because now you have all of your seasoned writers who are refusing to take work because the industry isn't rewarding them for their work. Mm -hmm. So then you're having to bring in, um, less seasoned writers. And so the series gets, you know, it it takes a hit. Yeah. Yeah. So there were a lot
1: of shows that, uh, had a lot of weird, like mid show, uh, or mid series, um, like gaffes or whatever. I think because of that, like, yeah. you, like you'd be watching season three of something and you're just like, w- that was random or a character just comes back or something, yeah. you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you and I have been sort of developing a story, Yes. I, I, I shared with you like the big things that you want to avoid in storytelling, which is, um, coincidence, convenience, and anything feeling contrived. Um, and oftentimes, like, you'll notice it in a series that, particularly network broadcast series that are, like, 22 or 23 episodes long. There are yeah. just, those things just happen because they're having to fill that number. Um, Arrow. Yeah. The Flash. Absolutely. Supernatural. Absolutely. These are shows Pretty that. Pretty
0: much every CW show. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's very much yep. a format to those as well. Yeah. They
2: like their shows a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and their viewers,
0: eat that shit up. Right. Yeah. And
2: I actually, um, I had met with one of the showrunners from arrow, Mm uh, and she, the writers are very aware of the fact that they have a demographic that they're writing towards. So when you watch something and you're like, what the fuck, what is this? You know, you might be scoffing at an episode. They, they themselves might also be thinking like, this is not great. This isn't great writing or great storytelling. But this is, you know, sort of the network demands, the demographic demands. We're having to write for women who are 55 years old and guys who are 18 years old. You have to find that middle ground between soap and action, um, drama and suspense. So they're very aware of it as writers. Um, and I feel like I was going to make another point about this, um, with Arrow, um, or maybe it'll come back that's, to me. That's kind of like in in a lot of jobs too. Like even in
1: my job, sometimes we don't make the best decision because customer can't pay for it, right. or the architect just wants it a certain way. Right. Um, so yeah, interesting parallels there.
2: Yeah, everybody has certain expectations when mm-hmm. they go to a series, um, and you have to meet when when your demographic is so broad as network broadcast is. Um, you have to meet everyone's expectations, and yeah. for. Specifically now, in this day and age, when we have streamers and we have auteurs that are um, coming out with these crazy series, like crazy good series, mm-hmm. things that are really smart mm-hmm. and very pointed to certain audiences. Can you give
0: us an example?
2: Sure. Um, I feel like the German show Dark, which yeah. is perhaps my favorite show of all time. At, mm-hmm. at this, I started
0: watching it. Yeah. After at
2: this point. It's a slow burn. What's it, that on? It's on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Okay. It was three seasons. They knew the story they wanted to tell. There's very obviously a, a demographic that they were directing this mm-hmm. towards. And it just made it feel more authentic. It mm-hmm. didn't feel as contrived, as constructed for so many different people. It was like, you're either going to like this or you're not. Question, do you watch it with English uh, dubbed? No, I watch it with subtitles. Okay. Right. Um, I used to hate watching things with subtitles. But I I've, I've watched things yeah, I with that have been dubbed. And it just makes for a far more comical experience. It's yeah. silly. Yeah. Yeah. Because
0: first off, some sometimes the voice actors don't get the emotion right mm-hmm. in the dialogue. Yeah. So you'll wow. have some, somebody who's acting their heart out like in despair, like, ah, and yeah. then like a very like mediocre, <laughs> like yeah. underdone right. dialogue yeah. overtone of it. Yeah. Um, uh, there's
2: just something about like, I'm sure when you watch even like a YouTube video uh, Mm -hmm. and the, the sound is off from the voice. Like that is so distracting to me Mm -hmm. and I would much rather read the series. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I have a hard time believing that dark has a larger viewership than OA had.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it was a cheaper show because if you look at the landscape of the series, it's, it's what we've talked about. It's, um, you know, one small town, Mm -hmm. few characters. Yeah. Uh, it's also shot in another country, which probably has less permitting or yeah, less. It's cheaper. There might also be grants yeah. involved because a yeah, lot of countries. Tax, tax, tax re- rebates yeah, and stuff. Tax rebates. A lot of countries um, will actually give you a grant mm-hmm. for a project. Like Canada. That's why a lot of people shoot in Canada. A lot of people shoot in Australia. Georgia. New I Zealand. Think is the same way, right? Um, the state. Well, uh, like Georgia here. Uh, you get tax credits. So it's different from what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm talking about like the government, you applying for like a grant. Like if, okay. uh, you know, we were. And what's that for? Tourism to get people to come there? Yeah. Um that and just because it's industry, it jobs. you get when you send a production to another country, they're getting so much money by people living in that country for that yeah. time. People mm-hmm. catering, mm-hmm. business, yeah. all right.
0: that stuff. Yeah, it's a huge it brings a lot of uh jobs, I guess, to the area. Absolutely. I, do you ever did you ever watch the show
2: Bloodline? Yeah on Netflix. I'm actually excuse me. I watched the first <laughs> He's got COVID. Yeah, Uh, I watched the first two seasons, and then for whatever reason, I didn't watch the third, and I just started watching the third. So Mm. I haven't finished it yet, but I started watching the third because we just finished um, Friday Night Lights, which I don't know if you've seen, but that show is so good. Um, It is. It's a surprise sleeper for like a network broadcasts. It's like uh, the precursor
0: to like Riverdale and all those other (laughs) kind of. Yeah. 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 But then
2: even Riverdale, like that's on CW. So Mm -hmm. it has that sort of soapiness about it. Whereas I, and I actually find this to be the case with a lot of NBC one hour dramas, they lean away from the soapiness and more into like the, the natural realism for Mm -hmm. their family dramas, which is very much what Friday night lights is. It's a sports family drama. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but they try to ground it in a sense that we can relate to it. Like, all of the cliche beats in most series, they, they move away from those. Mm-hmm. So I really like it. I appreciate it as a show. Yeah,
0: I think that's what why Dark is so successful, is mm-hmm. um, they are presenting this very supernatural uh, world, but mm-hmm. also keeping it very relatable um, yeah. with the families. and It's the same way, like, Stranger Things is so successful, right? Yeah, in and Stranger sense,
2: Things does... They're successful because they've tapped into the market of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Um, Dark is definitely, it has like sci-fi and it has a a sort of thrilling aspect and it's keeping you guessing the entire time you're watching it almost up to the last episode. With Stranger Things, they've capitalized on the nostalgia that we particularly as an American audience have come to absorb, you know, that... that um and and we our generation a nostalgia for something we never even experienced like the 80s -hmm. like that there is something romantic about the the less technological world yeah the more colorful Mm -hmm. world seems more authentic right yeah the the reagan era really Mm -hmm. where things were bright and pretty on the surface but then something monstrous was hiding beneath all of that yeah and or yeah, I think I think a lot of
0: it was like maybe the illusion that yeah. said something dark like the satanic panic that right. happened during, around that time yep. or shortly after that time. Uh it was a very unknown um seemed like there was a thin veil over everything mm-hmm. maybe. Um yeah, that's interesting. I so going back to the cult classic thing cuz I just this is just running in my mind. It feels like cult classics though may not have such a large audience but the longevity Of the show, um, meaning like something like Donnie Darko, Mm -hmm. right, has a very close cult following and Mm -hmm. that it consistently um, has, um, I guess, consistent numbers of views and consistent like sales throughout the years. I'm wondering if it, if maybe something like Netflix is overlooking. It may not be the flavor of the week show, mm-hmm. but it could keep us in business for decades to come because people will always come back to OA right. to watch it. Um and it's an exclusive. Yeah. So, you know, it's I think, it's more of an investment long term.
2: Right. The only difference being that Donnie Darko is a feature and the OA is a series. Yeah. So there's like but. there's less money that's invested in something like Donnie Darko. Um, and more of a return on that because those movie, you know, let's talk about, uh, the room, Mm -hmm. like there's an experience about watching the room now, very much like Rocky horror picture show. Yeah. And it's become timeless in a sense, you know, you can take, you know, parents are taking their kids to go do the things that they did when they were kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, to your point, there's a great longevity about it. With a series, it's hard to have an experience with um, with it. Yeah. So especially when it's something that lives on a streamer on your TV set and it's not seen on a big screen and there's not, like, the community's not coming together yeah. necessarily. Um, but that said, I still think, like, those series are important and should be made because they only... Create better series. You know yes. When you watch something like that, as a writer, as myself, I watch that and I think, man, I want to write something as smart as that. Mm-hmm. So it's inspiring more material.
0: Yeah, we can we can go down the pipeline and be like, if X wasn't ever made, then right, it would we would like if Lost never had the viewership, it was on a different network, right? In um, it didn't see the I mean Lost paved the way for television for decades right.
2: to come. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely believe that if Lost was on a streamer. It, it probably wouldn't have made it to the end because yeah. Yeah. because a lot like the OA. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is so much content on those streamers. It could have easily have just gotten lost in the mix. <laughs> um, <laughs> there it is, folks. <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna end on that <laughs> one. <Yeah. laughs> um, true.
1: You know, I've been wondering about uh, like I don't know, a few years ago. It's been a while now. I started hearing about how um, Hollywood has been using a lot of the AI to determine what. Um, the audience will like Mm -hmm. uh, for writers or even just writing stories or or concepts Um, and so I've been like have you heard of that being actually actually being used or is that still kind of a like a prototype
2: Uh, I I've not personally heard about AI being used for that I mean although you know people run statistical algorithms through various machine learning programs right um, I have learned. I have heard firsthand from somebody studying machine learning that they are trying to figure out ways to make script writing easier, which mm-hmm. scares me a little bit because I just worry about like the ingenuity that goes into creating a story and coming up with that. And if it becomes so easy that an AI system can do that, I don't know. There, there's 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 well, give and take with that whole thing. Yeah. Um, the,
0: to the, what
2: you're saying about viewership, I think that. It's sort of a chicken and egg situation, whereas the industry goes through cycles of this is what the content that we're invested in right now. Like we like political dramas right now. We, we like tapping into what people are talking about. What's in the zeitgeist and what's in the zeitgeist right now is politics, social injustice. So that right now is pushing the industry in that direction. You're going to see start to see a lot of series that are going to be about, you know, they're, they're going to be historical dramas. They're going to be um, historical fictional, uh, you know, uh, fiction. Watchmen's um, a good example. Watchmen's a great example. And that's, um, you know, that's projecting, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's taking our current circumstances, projecting a few years in the future and adding the elements of sci-fi and such and, and pulling out of the comic books. But in the same way, like that, the industry is pushing something. It, it's also coming out the other end, informing. You know, it, it just becomes very cyclical. Like, right. oh, people are watching this. Somebody's picked up a series. People are loving this series. Now that's going to inform everything everybody's buying. Mm-hmm.
0: So interesting. Yeah, it's like magma. Yeah. yeah.
2: Shooting out of the
0: of, of a hole and then solidifying on yeah. land. And Absolutely. More will just build right on top of that.
2: Yeah. That's an interesting um metaphor. But yeah. <laughs> I, see where I you're don't going know with why it. I thought of that. It just came <laughs> to me. I, w-
1: I wonder if um like that will make the quality of shows and movies and other media like less because mm. I think people tend to like stupid stuff,
2: you know? They like um, stuff that they can turn off right. while like, they're watching. Like
1: what we just talked about with CW, like like people just kind of like that, mm-hmm. that style or yeah. like other things where we where we said like the writers didn't think it was the best thing to write, but it's what the audience likes. Right. And if now the AI knows exactly what the audience likes, maybe right. the quality goes down. It could go up too.
2: Well, I think certainly, the, I mean, the tail end of the last point I was making that I missed is that by investing so much in a certain genre of something, like doing so many political dramas, right? Once you have so many of them, people then get tired of them. So then AI could come in and tell us like, what's the longevity that viewers are going to be interested in this particular genre mm-hmm. on the tail end of that. You can start, you can start to like track and see when should we start? Yes. Thank you. When should we start, um, moving in a different direction? Oh yeah. We're drinking mimosas right now, ladies <laughs> Mine, and gentlemen. Yeah yeah and uh we we got it's, some bubbles mine is like one teaspoon orange juice yeah
0: and we're having a good time that's the it's the drink of the show we're
2: still pretty lucid so yeah we just started miles is messed I'm up he's wasted. making a mess and miles had, has been here for some hours i've
1: had uh like one mimosa <laughs> <laughs> usually miles is a one me. and done kind of guy now <laughs> oh, thank you <laughs>
2: Let's see. So sorry to ruin your
1: to uh, your point up. there. Yeah. No, no, no.
2: I just, I mean, the point I think I was making was that AI could really be useful in the sense that we could start projecting these things sooner than, mm-hmm. you know, than we see them. Um, and we can start yeah. to, to get ahead of the curb a little bit. And so that there can be more diversity in the storytelling uh, industry.
0: Yeah, I think it, I think. I, I believe there will be shows, obviously, curated and written by AI in the future. I think it's inevitable. People will just try it out.
2: Well, certainly when AI is the only thing that's left on this earth. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And when at what point are we AI.
0: AI, AI? I mean, no. Um, It'd probably
2: be things that we don't even understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We yeah. haven't tapped into It'll what true It'll be AI writing for is. other AI. Yeah.
0: It'll be a one big loop. Yep. One, one, sh- one, one six-season series will be written in, in two milliseconds and then yeah. consumed in two milliseconds. Yep. By the AI, yeah. Um, no, uh, yeah, I could see I could see some of the human randomness and warmth of the story mm-hmm. being lost if it gets mm-hmm. written by AI. Yeah. But that's just based on our current understanding of AI. And that's yeah. a ways
2: off in the future. I mean, I'm actually developing a feature right now that uh, has an AI component to it. And I, from from what I've watched in the sci-fi genre, a lot of films that Lean into AI and and fearmonger, uh, man versus machine. They miss the real components of AI um, that make AI scary, which is the man itself, the biases that are that we're struggling with right now with AI. And not only that, but the rules that are written for AI. Mm-hmm. And I've been working with um, somebody studying machine learning at Florida State as a sort of consultant on this, as I've been trying to come up with the the full scope of the story and trying to reason out why a machine might um, turn on a person, you know, Uh, and it's really the box of rules that it kind of comes down to what we code, what we say, like you need to be the best at this thing. What does that mean when an AI is translating that? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the greatest examples that, he told me about was like, you take a robotic spider and you tell it, figure out how to get from point A to point B, um, by being on your feet for the shortest amount of time. Like basically taking, I think the implication is like taking the least amount of steps to get from point A to point B. Right. So it flips over on its back and it walks on its like elbows. <laughs> and yeah. and it's that sort of thinking that we can't see ahead of us yeah. that AI can. Yeah. Um, so I'm really fascinated in it. So and so, and it'll, I, so it'll, I am fascinated will try to, see to like it. bend
0: the rules a little bit. At, yeah.
2: Well, yeah. it's not bending the rules so much as it is we're not putting the limitations on it, mm, so right. it can interpret it however it wants. Yeah.
1: Have you guys ever read the book The Fear Index?
2: No. Is it? What's it about?
1: It's uh, It's about this guy who is a, uh, a programmer and a financial guru, and he develops this software. Uh, you've probably heard a lot of it. It's like the high-frequency trading stuff that goes on um, where basically the computer can analyze news, uh, people's emotions, and then it can make trades based on that to try to make money. Mm-hmm. And he makes this uh, this uh, software that will um, basically like look at people's fear. So that's why it's the fear index. So he, they look at, uh, I think it's the VIX that they look at, which is the volatility index. So when the VIX is high, that means there's a lot of volatility volatility in the market. Mm-hmm. And basically he just develops this this thing to make the most amount of money it can. Um and what it does is it starts creating fear in the world. So mm. basically uh it like it has a mind of its own and it starts um like uh making jetliners go down. Um oh my God. and you know just uh, mass casualties in the world because then it creates fear and the markets are volatile and then it can yep. make money. Um, and then he's not, he ends up not being able to shut this system down because right. it's basically said like, no, this is my job, you know, and it turned right. basically. And- well,
2: self-preservation is probably perhaps the scariest thing mm-hmm. uh, when we consider, you know, uh, an, a, even an AGI system, you know, when we get to the point where artificial intelligence can start thinking like a human or just above, you know, human intelligence, th- that's going to be truly scary because how do we function? You know, survival of the fittest, right? We want to survive, and how do we survive? We eliminate those things from our lives that put us at risk. What puts an AI system at risk? Someone who can pull the fucking plug. right? Like, that's my fear. Now, yeah. the distance from where we are to artificial general intelligence, as I've been discussing it with this consultant, is so broad I mean we, we have so far to go to get to that point and a lot of people are projecting this like 10 20 years from now we might start to see like the hints of AGI mm-hmm. when we really haven't even worked out the kinks of A&I you know artificial narrow intelligence these the ability for artificial intelligence as we know it to distinguish between um you know a bicycle wheel and a car wheel like something like that we haven't mm-hmm. quite gotten that down because of the way these things are coded it's like here's what a, a tire wheel looks like and it's round. So then it sees everything that's round and it says, well, that's a tire wheel. Yeah. So that's kind of where and we're it at. learns over time with yeah. machine yeah. learning. Right. Yeah. Google faster uh,
1: processors get the faster it can learn. Right. Yeah. Right. Don't plug that
2: shit into the internet, please. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. I mean, Chase, yeah, that's you, scary. Chase, I think you have the opinion that it's much closer than we think, right?
0: I think it is. Yeah. Um, I think Uh, There's a lot of technology that we have today commercially available that we thought was 50 years out 10
2: years ago. Right. Well, there's a law, and I forget the name of the law, but the law basically says that in the amount of time between two points, it'll take half that time between the next point of innovation. Mm -hmm. So. Isn't it Moore's
0: and Murphy's well Moore's law is that they can double the amount of processing power right. each year right. that's that's
2: exactly what it yeah. is mm-hmm. so with that in mind I think that there is a point to what you're saying mm-hmm. but I think that there are all there's also a point to the fact that what's what's needed for AGI and what's needed for eventually ASI um, there is still so much we don't yet understand about it because of the inherent biases of our own programming mm-hmm. And with these experiments that are proving that the rules that we write are being interpreted in ways that we could have never hypothesized. So I think that there is a lot of that at play. I think with A and I, we've gotten to a really good point Mm -hmm. where we can, you know, feedback loops, you know, reinforcement learning, things like that. We have a good understanding of how to program things with uh, a single uh, attention yeah, I think a lot of
0: people also just misunderstand what AI is. I mean, um, mm-hmm. in the most general sense, it's uh, it's a script, right? I mean, Miles writes scripts for a living, essentially, or um, you something know, that, like that. yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm being very general, um, but um, it's just it's just code that simplifies or does a task um, for you, right? Um,
2: well, and to to bring it back to the industry how many bad movies come out versus how many good movies come out? So many. So that's a little terrifying, (laughs) right? There are, there are screenwriters who are writing bad movies and there are a plethora of them coming out Mm -hmm. year after year. That's why you have award shows. I mean, there are complications with that, but you have these, you know, there are indicators of like, here's what's good in a sea of not so good stuff. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And, um, I think I think circling back to what I was trying to say is, um, I think, I think we're I think we're much further along than, than the general public knows, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, some of the larger um, dedicated AI projects. A lot of people aren't talking about it mm-hmm. um, about what they've what what kind of breakthroughs they've made um, because of the proprietaryness to it. All. Right. Um, so you have people in China who are working very fast and very hard at AI. Um, some of it um, have uh, some of some of those people have been on like Joe Rogan's podcast, talked mm-hmm. about it. Um, th- they're not going to be sharing what kind of breakthrough they had this week no. with anybody, no, because of the the amount of money that's been invested into it um, and how much it's worth now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I think. You'll, we'll start to see some consumer products that give us a general idea of where it's headed, where we're at. Um, but I think some of the larger, deeper neural network programming, AI, gen- general intelligence um, is a lot further along. I mean, I, I'm i confident that when you call into uh, the call service center industry is going to be gone in, I think, five oh, years. Google's already conquered yeah, that, right? five like, years it, sorry for all mm-hmm. you guys out there who have those jobs <laughs> they're coming for you yeah yeah get another job <laughs>
2: I think it's a I think it's a, a great point to be made that there's so much that the general public is not made aware of mm-hmm. but I also think it's a point that the general public doesn't want to know like I think that like, the yeah, people who thoughts. live on the fringes of and by fringes I mean like in the most rural parts of America mm-hmm. in the most rural parts of the world there is no the, the introduction to Uh, New technology comes at such a slower rate than it does to people like us who live in major cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the people that are actively watching this stuff happen and come out. I don't think people are fully aware of the fact that five years from now, you're going to walk into your grocery store. There's not going to be but maybe one or two clerks in that store. Mm -hmm. You're going to have an app on your phone that identifies who you are as you're approaching the store identifies the manager of that store to say this is who's coming into the store it'll map out your shopping experience mm-hmm. it's gonna have 700 plus sensors on the on the ceiling to track your route so that it can memorize that for next time you're in the store mm-hmm. and try to predict a better route for you mm-hmm. based oh, off the they're, products. Already, doing yeah. they're exactly. already doing that exactly sam's yeah. club yeah. has the prototype yeah. already or uh
1: maybe a little even further out, like there's just no more grocery stores and it gets sent to your house by drone or... Well, this is
2: Amazon's future city, right? Right. The the Amazon drone hubs that sit on top of the uh, streetlights and that's their charging stations mm -hmm. so that it takes no more than 30 minutes to get you a package from what they're thinking is going to be like a beehive warehouse that you're going to have different floors where things are mass produced Mm -hmm. and kept and then those drones are equipped to fly there, pick it up, fly to your house 30 minutes or less. I mean, you're going to get... Or you get a free pizza. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> it's crazy to think um, when when we talk about like general intelligence, um, at some point uh, it you stop feeding it code on the parameters of how it should think, and it starts to invent things on its own. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a point where that comes out And then there's no more coding after that because the AI can do your job as a coder and will write a better AI or an update for itself. And it will continually do that and it'll do it faster. Each time it updates itself to where like singular, something like the singularity happens
2: where absolutely. Well, the the singularity is actually what some uh, AI experts think is going to be what saves the human species. Because singularity, if we ourselves absorb the technology into our own bodies, that in itself is our way of self-preservation. Whereas if we create these networks and these systems that operate outside of ourselves, it's far easier for them to release a sort of nanobot technology to just wipe us out in seconds. Yeah. Or like a
0: virus. Yeah. 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 What's...
2: (laughs) what I releases the pangolins yeah what I struggle with most is already where we are I feel like we have such a reliance on technology and I think technology is great I think it's done wonders for the world I think it's done some bad for the world because of the way people use it and I think singularity could very well uh, cause the same problems um but I think that also the haves
0: and the have-nots right yeah
2: I think um like for for me for instance i try my very best to not use technology whenever i have the opportunity so like when i'm out and you know i want to go on a hike i don't want to have my cell phone out in my hand taking pictures of everything i want to experience that where some people see singularity taking us to a point where we have some sort of device that allows us to communicate with somebody else like a device that's implanted in your brain I like neuralink yeah, yeah, like Neuralink, exactly. And and this is not, I mean, anything new. We have electrodes that you can stick in somebody's brain to study their brain waves. Like, mm-hmm. this is not uh, new science at all yeah. or super futuristic. But the ability that I can be in the wilderness and then rec- call you from that chip in my brain mm-hmm. and show you exactly what I'm seeing and going beyond that, a world in which we can also connect senses... Um, which is actually probably like the biggest challenge that they're facing. Um, but connect senses so that if a fly lands on me, you can feel that. Yeah. That to me, while it's super cool, it's also like a little scary. It's yeah. like dystopian. It's an yeah. yeah. episode
0: of Black Mirror. Right. It's um, Limetown, right. Uh, the podcast slash TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's exactly that. Yeah. Half the village gets the technology, half the village doesn't. It creates yeah. class and social divide and right. end up, like, killing each other. <laughs> like, well, and
2: this is this is when the government gets its hands on that technology because they maintain those social structures. They get to sort of dictate what happens. That's why people like Elon Musk, for all the complications there are about him um, and, and the reputation he has in the AI world, I mean, he was originally a part of, like, OpenAI. And OpenAI, I think, is a great concept that it allows everybody to sort of engage with this it's it doesn't um it, it's not solely something that the government is overseeing so anybody can operate with an open ai which has its caveats of of warranting um some misbehavior as well i think but yeah.
0: um kind of like humans
2: yeah i mean that's just that's the human so, condition so right? there's
1: been some companies like i think google was one of them right who said we're not going to create ai for uh for like the military mm-hmm. right uh, mm-hmm. or where they where they said or they where they want a contract and then their employees say yeah we, the, you know this is not what we do we're, we're you know protesting whatever um so i think it's it's Interesting, And I think it's great that companies are doing that, but there's always going to be
0: someone who's going to do it. Absolutely. And that's, you know, we just have to protect ourselves from that.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: It's going to be so cool the day that Netflix stops becoming a film company and a artificial intelligence company. Yeah. Where it will just have its own in-house AI writing stuff.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, it already content. has AI, right? Like the predictive, yeah. the we think you'll like this mm-hmm. like that that's yeah. an ai program yeah, within cool. itself yeah, yeah it's
0: yeah definitely and um and it'll 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 be like a the marker will be when they start um instead of like spending six billion dollars a year on content on mm-hmm. production it's three million dollars on software yeah sorry, and three million dollars on content yeah.
2: yeah you know maybe with more ai they could have gotten a- ahead of this whole cuties thing you know, you guys been paying attention <laughs> yeah. to that. Yeah, but like Uh-oh. what um, terrible marketing on their part. Right. Like, that's right. well, yeah. Terrible. You, but you yeah. know it's
1: funny? We're talking about this, and like I was just out in Crested Butte, which is kind of like central Colorado, and uh there were areas where I didn't even have cell service. Yeah. Which is kinda of funny. Well, and then you feel like what the fuck?
2: Like I feel yeah. if something goes exactly. wrong, what am I gonna do?
1: Yeah, I thought about that and like Ten years ago, like that wasn't a thought that crossed your mind. You were just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> around driving. But yeah, I, I actually thought that like we were in a pretty secluded area where we were driving pretty far out in some different passes, and I literally thought that because we didn't have cell service, there was no other cars around. Like maybe one passed every thirty minutes or something. Right. And I was like, if we get a flat
2: tire or break our legs, you're walking. Oh, but oh, breaking your screwed. legs, not so much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a double edged sword because I think that with technology. You know, obviously, it offers a sort of safety net. Like, if I'm out in the woods and there's cell service nearby, I can just call, you know, an emergency line if something goes awry. That said, excuse me, I think it's made us a lot less vigilant as well. In the sense that now I want to capture something on my camera as opposed to getting the fuck away from it. I saw a video the other day of this guy who's just fine-tuning his vehicle. Uh, in his driveway and this black bear comes up the driveway and he's not he doesn't really see it at first and then he does and his first instinct isn't to just get away from it it's to grab his phone right. and record it and I'm like hell yeah you're asking for so it so you can
0: get TikTok famous exactly i mean it, <laughs> yeah, it, it it's worked. Crazy. he's all over the internet now yeah. he's not same, dead though. the same thing just happened to us where uh so we were hiking yesterday up at St. Mary's Glacier and we saw in the bushes like maybe 30 feet in front of us mm-hmm. this moose mm-hmm. which if you don't already know is like one of the most dangerous animals in the world yeah and here we are just a group of height and it was pretty <laughs> popular trash trail so there was probably about 10 of us right like on the trail like with our phones up in the air and some people had dogs and stuff and and I, all i could think of is here we are, 30 feet away from the most, one of the most dangerous animals, and all we can think about is, hey, let's take a photo of it. Like, exactly. And try to get a good angle shot yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah, because, then, because everyone will believe you after yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Picks it
0: didn't happen. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I like your point about, like, when you're going out on a hike or whatever, it's really refreshing not to have your phone. Mm-hmm. Or, like, when you're with a group of people, no one's just looking at their phone. Right. Um. I, I don't know. Maybe there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just, it's you feel
0: like, Just kind of more connected. It kinda grounds you. Yeah, it does. You know, it it, it's like a reset button for you. If you're feeling stressed or bogged down by the woes of the world because they're you're constantly getting notified of how fucked shit is out in the world (laughs) and um It's like looking at the news before you go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Just not do that. (laughs) Fuck that. (laughs) Yeah, take a break, go out and um and enjoy uh Enjoy the what I, I'll call the organic world, right? Yeah. When
2: a lot of people don't even take pictures for the same reasons anymore. Like you would go, uh, you'd go on a family vacation, and people would snap some photos of you because you could put them on your photo album. Yep. And years down the road, you develop those, uh, and you get to look back on them fondly. Now it's instant gratification. You take it on your phone, you put it on Instagram or something, and it's not so much about like sharing an experience with the world as it is like, look at me. This is, I'm living a better life than you. Mm -hmm. And that's why I've actively like, I've moved as far away from social media as I can right now Mm -hmm. because it's, everything is so curated. Everyone's experiences are so curated. I see that photo of you standing by a moose I'm not getting the full story of your experience. Like I want to talk to you about like, well, what was that place really like? What was the moose doing? All I'm seeing is like, Oh cool. You saw a fucking moose. Like yeah, that's dope. You. Now yeah. I wish I saw a moose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I hate you by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You hate everybody on social media. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. wow, you're doing a cool thing and I'm not. There's, there's yeah. also
1: a lot of, uh, like fakeness that goes into the picture sometimes mm-hmm. too. Like to give mm-hmm. you an example, um, when, when, uh, Sarah and I got engaged, Uh, We, I mean, this was real. We were in Thailand and uh, we were at this um, eco-friendly resort, whatever. And they had a bunch of elephants there that they take care of. Uh, And so that was all real. But there's a picture that we have where there's like, the elephants like behind us and there's water like splashing in the air and it's really like this guy was taking water <laughs> and like throwing it
2: <laughs> in <the house>. wow <laughs> so he it's knows what funny. you want yeah. he knows exactly you yeah. want that perfect and, instagram photo it, yeah
1: and like i like the picture i think yeah. it's really cool so for me it's it's fun but uh but yeah i mean to have other people see it and be like oh that's so cool
0: i mean that's fun we too have, yeah. you know? we have essentially put a filter on life yeah not not absolutely. just like you know, face filters or portrait mode or whatever. But I, I'm, I'm fearful that the kids nowadays who are seeing all these, all this fake in the moment, like produced experiences, they actually like, for instance, like Crested Butte, not saying that you faked any shit, but a lot of people will like put filters on it and then people will actually want to go there. And when they get there, they're like let down. Yeah. yeah. Because, Everything that they've that, that they've seen is so produced and filtered, um, and it's generated this false sense of reality for everybody. Absolutely. Um, and I think, um, and that bleeds over into anything. I think. Right.
2: Um, That's why this medium is, uh, you know, it's taken off in recent years. Mm-hmm. You know, in the past decade, you've seen so many podcasts just explode—long-form, conversational podcasts—because um, this is where people have real conversations have real dialogue mm-hmm. uh, you hope yes yeah. but for three hours you imagine like that's that's just a few yeah. people sitting down talking about their experiences and their opinions and I think it's really important and I don't think I think mainstream media plays into this as much as you know social media does as well you know th- this this headline um, you know clip news that we get now is so detrimental to our psyche as a society and our ability to have conversations. You know, we could be on opposite sides of the political spectrum that is being driven because of mainstream media and their five minute interviews with people as opposed to these three hour conversations or however long they are, Mm -hmm. but get, you know, this allows us to get away from that instant gratification allows us to get away from that filtered reality. Yeah. yeah, You know, I love this. So and you much. also,
1: you want to be seeing headlines too. And there's not a headline right. every minute. No. Every time I look, I look at my phone's news, I can see something new. Right. Yeah. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Right. Right. It's great that we can get news right away and we don't have to wait for the newspaper or whatever. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's not great that the media has to make up stories or just exaggerate things. To our gratification, Keep you hooked. right? Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Like CD, I don't know uh, what the, the solution is because that's just know. what we
0: as humans like. The yeah, solution John- is slow the fuck down. Yeah, people.
2: Jonathan Haidt is a social psychologist. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but um, he's done a lot of research uh, with the relationships between liberals and conservatives, and just the political dialogue that we have now. Um, and I remember seeing him in person uh, at Florida State, and one of the things I took away from what he said was he's like, there is an advantage to allowing politicians to operate without the level of transparency that we give them as a country. We've come to thrive and crave that transparency because of various things that have been discovered to be lies. You know, you you talk about Vietnam, you talk about the Iraq war, uh, war on drugs, right? Exactly. These things that, the White House. Yeah, yeah. These things that have driven us as a society to not trust our government, more of that does no good for the general population, unfortunately. I mean, I wish transparency transparency meant that they're just going to do their jobs, you know, the way that they're supposed to. But more transparency has really just meant more of a divide on both sides. It's, it's now at a place where it's I have an opinion, you have an opinion, you have an opinion, and we all have equal voices. And you know, we all can share in our voices are as equal as the people who have been in politics for forever and have been doing these deals for forever. And I think that there is a negative side to that, a serious social uh, crippling because of it. You know, And I'm not saying that I want the government to, you know, be screwing us over as the people but I just think that I don't tell my doctor how to do his job but, right <laughs> telling a politician to do their job is yeah you're right almost the same thing
1: and there's also a lot of um like the relationships between different countries uh, mm-hmm. between different people in our government mm-hmm. um it's all very fragile and so sometimes it's hard to explain why something was done uh, to, to, for, for everyone, all of us to accept. Right. Um, and not not that I'm saying that, like we should just trust our politicians that they're doing the right thing. But at the same time, we don't, I I totally agree with you. We don't need to know why, uh, we gave Iraq, you know, a hundred thousand or a hundred million dollars, you know, whatever it is.
0: Right. Uh, It's weird. Well, how about some accountability is what I want. Sure. Like yeah, the absolutely. Thing. They just came, uh, you know, a month ago or so, and they they the Supreme Court, court or the court said what uh, Snowden revealed to us was actually illegal mm-hmm. um, because for the longest time, there's been some back and forth on whether or not it was legal. Um, and now they're saying, yeah, it was definitely illegal. Um, none of what they did on the all snooping and the Patriot Act actually stopped anything. Right. Um. And unfortunately, nobody's going to be held accountable for that. Right.
2: And I, I completely noted. agree. Accountability, it, what I'm saying does not dismiss accountability. Yeah, totally. When you're caught doing something that is illegal, yeah, there are repercussions just as there are for you and I. Mm-hmm. But I don't, your house isn't a house of windows, right? Yeah. But once you've been found out, you know, you should pay the consequences yeah. as we do.
0: And it's not like a normal, it's not a normal job. Let's all be really transparent about that. Right. Like if I do something, well, I guess if I do something illegal in my job now, I could still get, go to jail. Um, but there's a lot of loopholes that um, politicians, they'll do something and ask for forgiveness later. That right. type of thing. Right. And the forgiveness later is often granted mm-hmm. uh, without any repercussions. Yeah. Um Because, you know, it's decades later, and it's like, well, right. that was a while ago. Right. The political climate back then, you can't blame me. I made the best decision I could for the country, <laughs> right. Um, when actually, you're just an asshole that's accepted money, right. and, Um, you and exploited the American uh citizen, um, for uh either political gain or um, some kind of other um, malicious intent, mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
0: But, um,
2: term limits. I, I don't know. This is why you guys I, feel, but I think term limits that's are incredibly idea. important. For sure. Also
0: AI 2024. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Let's take out yeah. the human element. Let's. Yeah.
2: Sure. The, 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 you know, in <laughs> all honesty, if we could figure it out, it'd probably be the best idea. Like, if we could right. figure out a way, just write, like, can't kill a human. Like, that's all you got to code it for. The like, three laws of robotics, right, from iRobot? Yeah. Yeah, I forget what they are, but. So,
0: the first one is, and I pulled it up on my phone, and sorry if I've talked about this before, but it's pretty important. I think it's fascinating to discuss, I'm, but. I'm a little disappointed if I'm, like, a
2: follow-up guest to
0: another great <laughs> AI conversation. Oh, my God. Um, it's a hot take. Uh, so the first uh, rule of the, of, uh, of robotics um, by Isaac, I'm saying this wrong by Asimov. Asimov. A robot may not injure a human being, or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, second law: A robot must obey the orders given if given it by a human, uh, by human beings, except where such orders conflict with the first law. Mm-hmm. So if I say. kill that guy. Hey, go kill Cole. It's like, I can't because I'm not allowed to kill a human. Mm -hmm. Uh, Third law, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think don't kill a human is probably like, yeah, that should be the caveat for everything. Yeah,
0: all three of those laws are related to uh, the safety of humans, right? Yeah.
1: So that's, I mean, it's almost a little subjective, I guess, because if you... Uh, if you do something that causes a human to get cancer
2: mm-hmm.
1: without knowing, like feeding them food dyes, right. I don't know if that's a, a thing, but right. I think some people believe that it can give you cancer, then w- did the robot kill that
0: human? Right. And after the discovery, how does the robot react once it's learned? that it killed you. Yeah, so there's nuanced obviously the law, which is there's like bylaws and This is always law. the problem
2: with it though. Like we can't predict how something will interpret that thing. Yeah. I mean, with those written rules what are the workarounds? Because we think that that is so like straightforward. Right. <laughs> what are the the workarounds of that though? Like yeah, yeah there's and what prevents yeah. what prevents somebody from you know hacking into the the system itself and rewriting those rules? Right, like, that's totally.
0: And what happens when the robot is becomes more human and um and can think for its own and is like well laws are meant to be broken yeah. <laughs> humans do it all the time <laughs> said uh, quoted by the famous you know blah 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 right um and uh yeah or like the best way to um protect a human is to annihilate all humans yeah right like right. the like the matrix or something have you guys uh, seen the movie i am mother
2: on netflix uh no i I've sounds heard really about. familiar yeah. yeah so fun fact it was written by an fsu alum um, oh, cool. yeah uh but the the Basic premise um, is, you know, this robot, this AI system was created to help raise humans to the best of a human's ability. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, and then it gets into the sort of complex relationships between something that is programmed to basically, uh, well, raise somebody while there are other factors of, you know, humans in the world. So yeah. it, it's an interesting concept. I did watch it, actually. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I knew it sounded familiar. I'm going to take this off and premiere my, my, my very oh, theme
0: oh, shirt. Oh, look at that. The Lucky Ducks. Yeah. Some rubber ducky shirt. Yeah. yeah. Action.
2: I love it. Have you guys chronicled the the Lucky Duck on any of the other podcasts? I mean, we've
1: kind of like said how people are connected, to yeah, uh, and yeah. a little bit about like where it came
2: from, but yeah. we
1: haven't really talked too much about it.
2: I always find that when I tell people about the lucky ducks um, and the lucky duck itself, it feels very cultish to explain. Yeah, yeah, it kind um, of does. Yeah,
1: it's funny. Our last podcast was about being in a cult.
2: Yeah, <laughs> not about the lucky duck, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so were we in two cults? Get away from it. Yeah.
2: Um, cults are fascinating cults are fascinating i mean what's the difference between i guess well i guess i would say like the difference between a cult is the intention versus you know like our group of friends Mm -hmm. um we didn't have any like exclusionary rights um (laughs) there there was no like can't talk to people out (laughs) outside of this yeah Um,
0: and there there really wasn't just a single point of leadership really um although i think
2: we all bowed to you
0: yeah, I mean yeah but We worshipped you behind I, your back. Yeah. There was no there's there's there was no dictation of um of law or rules right. by any no, one person. Absolutely not. <laughs> so,
2: I always tell people it was like a, a co ed fraternity. Yeah. That we didn't have to pay I didn't have to pay for my friends. Yeah. <laughs> Only in yeah, beer money. Yeah, yeah beer exactly. Money. Five bucks a year <laughs> out.
0: Five dollar all you can drink. Yep. Um, yeah, it was, it was a great, I think everybody should have something like that when they go through college. Um, it's kind of like a, it's like a networking, it becomes like a networking thing and it just, it, it allows you to, um, experience the social atmosphere that I think will cultivate a personality that fits in with, um, capitalism or a job in general, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people, and I'm, I'm worried about like kids going into college today and being isolated and doing uh, school virtual in their dorm or in their um, apartment room, they're not getting that social interaction mm-hmm. that I think is needed to thrive in the, in the industry after college. Right. Um, so I'm hoping that that quickly blows over and... Yeah, next that, year
1: there's like two things there's two parts to college one is your education and the other is the networking right and you need both of those yeah you won't be successful i but wish be,
2: but. i wish there was some uh, social psychologist that would have studied us though as a, as a <laughs> cohort as a like a microcosm yeah. because we were 40 friends strong i mean and by that i mean mm-hmm. friday saturday night and almost every night of the week yeah you could call up and half of those 40 would show up yeah and i think that that in itself you know to your point about capitalism it's as much a point about socialism and totally. we all treated each other equally we all could reach out to one. Of, we still can, largely. So communism, we're, actually, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Hail, yeah, brother. Um, we community. Jonestown. Uh, what do they called? <laughs> that's called The, cool, uh, that's cool. the <laughs> co-ops, the, the little compounds where you have a bunch of houses and everybody shares a garden. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that would have been, uh, we could have pulled that off easily yeah. enough. Um, it, socialism works in small communities. Sure, like. sure. Um, but yeah, I, I it, it was... By far the greatest takeaway of my college experience. Yeah. By sure. far. And, and now and, we have a ton of friends all over the country. Except most in Denver. Yeah. It's becoming <laughs> strong. I'm telling say, you, man, we worship you. Level, like everybody uh, is just flocking to you.
0: <laughs> Denver is an attractive reason or reason. Denver's an attractive city for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And um uh we caught I caught on pretty early to that,
2: I yeah. think. Um Well, it helped like your job right out of Undergrad, yeah. I, I got
0: lucky getting the job right out of school. Um, I moved here, never getting this far out west, um, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so moved out here without even knowing where I was going to live. Um, right, uh, got a hotel. My dad and I found some apartments and figured it out. And, um, I have no urge to move anywhere else. That's great, yeah. It works. It's, it's a good place. Crazy Yellowstone erupts. Yeah, well, then we're all fucked. <laughs> yeah, right? Right. Like, there's nowhere you're going in this country that's yeah. not
2: at some point going to be affected. Right? Um, yeah. Those, those super volcanoes. Uh, that's that's what's going to do us in. Yeah. Not the AI. No, no. <laughs> just Mother Earth. Yeah. Can we program the AI to stop that from happening? Is there a way? So exactly. we talked about
1: like wanting to get away from technology to go to nature, but really <laughs> nature is what fucks us. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's a cohesiveness. Yeah. We rely on both. Um, yeah. I mean. I feel, this, I feel similarly about L.A. Like, being there, it was a goal of mine for about a decade. I went there when I was 16 for the, well, I didn't go to L.A., but I went to California when I was 16 for the first time. And I knew, like, there was a, a conceit about L.A. Like, this is the place where dreams are made. And I knew I wanted to be in the entertainment industry. And for the longest time, as you uh, so graciously pointed out, I was playing music. And I thought, that's my track. Like, I'm going to do my education thing. I'm going to have my degree. It's not going to mean anything because I'm getting an English degree. But it'll help me write, and then I'll play music professionally. And then I fell out of that um, and fell into screenwriting. And it just was obviously the perfect transition for still wanting to go to L.A. because that's where the industry is. But since moving there, you know, the, the conversation around L.A., given its environmental factors and some of the other social issues it has it's such a wonderful place for me personally. It's so different from where I grew up. It's -hmm. it's so much of what I wanted out of it. So that, you know, that's really great. Yeah. I feel like I always tell people like weather's incredible when it's not on fire. And, um,
1: yeah. Speaking, speaking of how, how has it been? I'll say stuff from the media. Right.
2: Exactly. Um, I think the biggest takeaway to that point about what the media projects. If you've never been to L.A., you don't understand the scope and the size of L.A. L.A. is massive. It's made up of, you know, it's like talking about New York City and then all the boroughs that they have. Yeah. L.A. is very much the same way. Um, we just don't talk about it in the same way we talk about New York. Well, uh,
1: L.A. doesn't have, like, the huge uh, downtown area, right? But, cool. it, but L.A. itself is... It, it has universe. a
2: downtown. It's
1: pretty huge, bad downtown. I yeah. Think.
2: It's a pretty big downtown, but it's also like a lot of suburbs, right? right. There's yeah. so many suburbs that surround that downtown. Isn't it like 14 million people? Yeah. Roughly. I think something like yeah. that to that effect. When you have 14 million people living in any given place, you're going to have problems. Like that's, yeah. it's inevitable. Um, and everybody with the same, well, most people with the same goal of just chasing that dream. Um, with the fires, uh, California gets a lot of coverage because of the population, because of how many people actually live there. And when you look statistically at all of the states, um, Alaska actually has the most wildfires, has the most land that's affected. Uh, I think it was something like, over the course, from like 1997, I want to say, to 2018, California's uh, wildfires were like 12% of the worst fires in the country. And this is something that, we as Californians have to face is the reality that this isn't going to get much better without some sort of environmental intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, And by that, I don't mean raking forests uh, as has been so loudly uh, (laughs) suggested Um, because the problem is, is they're not forest fires. They're grassland fires and they're brush fires. Mm -hmm. And because we go through great bouts of no rain, it dries out it's hot, you know, you have the Santa Ana winds that are coming downhill. Uh, it, it just creates the perfect storm for these things. Oftentimes these things are started by dumb humans or power outages, Mm -hmm. you know, um, again, management of forests, like that suggestion, not a lot of people know 93% of forests are managed by the federal government. Yeah. (laughs) That's not our job across the board.
1: All the national forests,
2: right? Right, exactly. There's mm-hmm. so much. The um, like the Los Angeles National Forest is massive. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've dealt with personally is are fires in the distance. I, yeah. I make this joke, but fires are very biased towards rich people because they live in the canyons and they live on the hills yep. and then and in, you know where all that brush and grass is. Uh-huh. The poor people live down in the, the concrete jungle, yeah. and we're kind of unaffected by it for the most part. Well, that's good. Yeah,
1: I guess that's that's near
2: where I am now. Across California, I know that that's not necessarily the case. It's become a growing concern. Um, You know, people very unsure of whether they're it's worth rebuilding once their house has been burned. You know, there's a great migration that we're going to start to see over the next fifty years, Um, and this I know because of the research that's been done. But you're going to start to see a lot of people moving towards the center of the country. Uh, away from the East Coast because of flooding and because of humidity that's just unbearable. I mean, we grew up in Florida. We know what it was like growing up. I just went back a few weeks ago. I stepped out of the airport, and it swallowed me. Yeah, uh, It was disgusting. Right. And dense. I have no interest in going back to that. Um, so as things start to dry out, you're going to see across the country more of these fires in other states where it's less predictable um, mm-hmm. by by what the news is reporting. Um, but still present nonetheless. So you move everybody towards the center, then you've got an overpopulation in these areas. Mm -hmm. Most people are farming in those areas. We're going to see with greater, with more heat, with the way that the environment is changing, those crops are going to start to die out. Then you're going to have another dust bowl situation.
0: Yeah, also not to mention uh, the amount of water resources required to yeah. supply the uh, overpopulation of those. Right. Like Colorado, for example, um, we rely on all the, the snow mm-hmm. in the mountains for the, the, the trickle-down of, of when it melts in uh, the springtime and it fills our, our reserves up. Um,
1: and also the Colorado River, right? Yeah. Which yeah. Utah claims... Uh, that Colorado steals from those. Yeah. We were out in Moab
0: and, uh, we were getting shuttled from where we were tubing down the Colorado river, which was awesome. I recommend it. Yeah. Um, amazing views. Uh, but the guy that was driving was like, yep you got Coloradans love to steal our water. It is called the Colorado (laughs) river. Yeah. We own it. I don't know.
2: I don't know how many States, but I know like the Mississippi river goes through so many. Right. Why do they get to own that? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, But Um, yeah, it's yeah.
0: Water is going to be a a massive,
2: well, um, as it comes in from the oceans you know, as the sea level rises, Mm -hmm. but we're also draining ourselves of fresh water the springs that we get most of our drinking water from mm-hmm. you know we're we're over draining that yeah. at, at a rate that's given the way that the climate is changing mm-hmm. it's going to be impossible to refill i mean i don't know climate, it's a, it's a bleak future yeah. unfortunately um, if we don't do anything i think yeah. so
0: yeah the if you're buying property try as hard as you can to res- to uh nab the water rights on your land. Yeah. That's going to be a big deal. Yeah. Um, Better than oil now, right? At one point, it will become
2: more valuable than oil. Right. Um, Well, especially as we move away from oil, which is inevitably going to have to happen. I mean, if people, if if you're a smart business person and you see the effects of something on people, like the buying power of people going down, Mm -hmm. you're not going to keep investing in that thing.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at Exxon, Mm -hmm. And at one point, they were the wealthiest company in the, I don't know the world, but the U.S. at least, they had the highest market cap. And now they're like way, 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 way down there. Yeah. Um, And and that's the exact reason. It's like, no one wants to invest in them anymore. Right. Um, I don't think they've been innovative enough. Um, Right. So. Well, a a cyber
2: world, just to get back to our point, is far more valuable than the oil industry. Yeah, we've
1: seen that during the pandemic, like Mm -hmm. all of the 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 market that's like incredibly high right now is the tech market
2: right
0: yeah we we moved away from innovation and material things and moved on to a virtual i mean there there's only so many iterations you can make of a drink coaster right before um and and before the capitalism and free market takes a hold of it and and there's now there's like a bazillion different ones that you can get and right um there's only so many iterations of a keyboard well that's probably a bad example but or a jug of orange juice you mm-hmm. know Well as far comes, as iterations of the coasters cloud. go
2: that's a pretty good iteration <laughs> okay. I don't know what that is exactly
0: It's Denver downtown um, Did now. you do that No Miles bought uh, oh, I didn't there. make it either <laughs> yeah, You could probably could guess that but Pretty uh that's pretty awesome I bought it online Um <laughs> Yeah,
2: yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking like in terms of the movie industry, I'm wondering, um, we talked a little bit about like how AI could influence writing process or the creation of ideas for film television. Um, I'm wondering maybe what we would see first would be in the editing. Like the, well, we already see like AI helping out in uh, CGI, right? Uh, Right. Computer generated graphics. Um, I think I think we probably would see a lot of help in AI and editing. Um, I don't know how you feel about that.
2: I would say that that's the first place to my mind that it would start to make itself most present Mm -hmm. on a set. Again, this goes back to where we are with AI and why people say like going to a vocational school or a technical school is the best direction for a sustainable future or a sustainable career is because there, there's not as much repetition in those crew jobs, much in the same way that there's not as much repetition for an AC repairman or a plumber. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a case-by-case basis. And right. so to expect that AI is going to come in and really have a significant impact anytime soon on production when everything is case-by-case, uh, I think that that's, yeah, that's far off. But I yeah. do think in editing when you have a screen and you can program something to identify something. Yeah. I would agree that that's probably where that comes in.
0: Especially when you have something like a TV show Mm -hmm. that's done. Let's just like, say it's like six seasons long, you know, average length of a successful TV show. right? Right. Um, if you have a a template that's created like the first season and you like have that analyzed by an AI, um, they could easily color filter, uh, do all these post editing things automatically just based on what they have learned from an an already produced templated, um, uh, show.
2: Right. Yeah. If I know that, uh, each scene, I have to have a shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse Mm -hmm. shot. I can just program something to say like, all right, edit this. You know it might take playing and plugging with the best performances to your own liking, but at least you have a structure there, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So, you, um, Miles
0: in the intro uh, alluded to that you were you played an extra on the morning show, yeah. how I was did. that?
2: Uh, that was cool, that was a cool experience. Um, yeah. I, I feel like it. Warrants some chronicling of how that happened. Yeah, go ahead. Um, but I actually need to use a restroom. Is that okay? Oh,
1: Ooh, it's actually yeah. is it occupied right <laughs> yeah. now? Uh-oh. But I think in about a minute. Okay. Be, all right. It. You just give me the thumbs up. All right. Um, <laughs> hopefully,
2: I don't leave anybody with cliffhangers. <laughs> uh, um, we, we, you
1: know, we like could fill this up. <laughs> <laughs> just take this or new mimosa no on the table. never know? Yeah, exactly. That's
2: true. Yeah. Um, Chase just looked at it like, please, God, don't. I do was that. like, this could get interesting yeah, or, yeah. all of
1: those people not watching the video. Uh, I was uh, holding a orange
2: (laughs) juice bottle. Yeah. (laughs) I forget that this isn't like... Freshly squeezed. This isn't everybody watching the video. Right. Um, So when I moved to LA, I had no job lined up, uh, which is often the case for people who moved to LA. Uh, I... My first gig was working... I should say it wasn't a paid gig, but it was a free internship. I did two free internships in hopes that that would lead to something better. I -hmm. interned at a management company and I interned at a production company, both very small, both only had four employees in total. Um, So there really wasn't much room for me to grow there. Yeah. So then that lasted from... Real real quick as a segue. Yeah. uh, Not a segue. (laughs) uh, Do a lot of
1: those smaller companies rely on people coming to LA like to build up their career by having free internships?
2: Uh, well, a lot of them offer the free internships and what that uh, I think really offers them is just the free labor, yeah. w- seasonal free labor mm-hmm. um, without any strings attached. So you'll have the assistance to the executives and then as an intern you're sort of an assistant to the assistants so that they don't become overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what I did was like script coverage which is basically just reading a script uh, summarizing it in so many paragraphs and then giving notes on it. Okay. So that then that would be passed on to the execs to say like, is this good for a general audience? Does this fit our brand? So on and so forth. Yeah. Um, okay.
1: <laughs> if you want to take a
2: break. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll c- continue on. Into Great. Your story. I'll be right back.
1: So Chase, you missed, uh, an invigorating.
0: Oh my God. Story. Yeah? I had so, to step away for a sec. <clears throat> basically, uh, you don't have to give me a recap. I don't give. I'll, I'll just, I'll just listen to it. Everybody no, listening no. doesn't want to hear it again. No, probably. no, they do. So oh, basically,
1: uh, Cole Cole admitted to me that he's in love with you. Oh well, who isn't? <laughs>
0: True. Yeah, you are. I think.
1: <laughs> oh no. Just kidding. Um, this is super awkward now. Yeah. I like we haven't not had a guest on.
0: Oh my god. So Cole, oh. tell us about Hi. um, QAnon. And how you are um, secretly the leader of this uh, organization that's gotten such a bad rep. But aren't you guys just uh, just good people wanting the best for the country? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, guys, um, I just wanted to say that uh, all the rumors are untrue. I actually am not the self-proclaimed uh, leader of the QAnon. And uh, all, all I want to do is just have a successful career in Hollywood. Yeah, but isn't the criticism that like a lot of like famous politicians or Hollywood executives or secretly pedophiles or um, you know uh, running the country and uh, and uh, actually uh, that's uh, po- very incorrect. All we're here is to make a little money for ourselves and for China. I mean, did I say China? I mean, um, uh, for for the the regular uh, everyday guy. Oh, that's a that's a really good cool accent. Back. Thank you. Nothing happened
1: while
2: you were gone. Okay. Don't worry. We weren't, On like, pretending you were here or anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I left off with the internships, mm-hmm. I believe. So at the end of those internships, I had no direction, basically. No idea of what was going to happen when I came back from, like, a Christmas vacation. Um Ultimately, I came back in January of that year because the internships went the entirety of the year. I went home for Christmas and I came back and I was like, well, I have to do something. So I applied for a bunch of jobs. Um, nothing that came through because as we discussed, the industry is, you know, it, it functions on nepotism. You know, you know somebody, they get you that job. They put in a good word for you. That's how a lot of people get jobs. That's how I've got the job I currently have. Uh, and I'm very grateful for it. Um So what I ended up doing was just really picking up as many, like, side hustle jobs, um, as they refer to, or gig economy jobs. So I was, like, walking dogs, um, transcribing medical records. I taught at a college once. um, And that only happened because how to pick up hot chicks. <laughs> yeah. I um, That only happened because I ended up getting a sustainable job afterwards. Like literally the next week, they gave me this teaching job at the college. I didn't even know I wanted it. I went in for an interview thinking like, I really don't want this. And in the interview, they're like, great, you're hired. And I'm like, I don't even like have time to think about this. Yeah. Uh, so that was an interesting experience. Nice. Um, What'd you teach? Uh, it was business communications. Like okay. that was, it was um, at a small sort of alternative college. Yeah. Um, and really weird. Like it was on one floor, it was like five rooms. Um, UCLA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was cool. I mean, it, what?
1: Do you have experience in business communications?
2: It was more so, it, it definitely leaned into like my English degree. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And there was a rubric, there was a book, like they were just kind of following along. It almost felt like elementary curriculum. Like, what is small talk? Like, I can do this, this is easy. Um, But thankfully that didn't last too long. Professor Cole. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But amidst all of those, the most sustainable job I had before my long-term job that I got was as a background actor um and that is fairly easy anybody can do it um I yeah it's cool to talk about and sounds kind of prestigious in a sense like oh, i got to hang out with jennifer anderson on set i didn't get to hang out with her she yeah. was there she was present and i saw her in person and that was cool and one of my role models as a filmmaker mark duplass was there um and i was i was close enough to him at certain points that you know he could have just farted right up my nose um <laughs> And it they, they were really cool experiences. I already loved being on a set obviously this is the industry I want to work in a lot of people would complain about long hours and I'm like you're getting paid to stand in a scene and eat free food like that's yeah um, pretty easy but yeah exactly so but that show um, was by far the thing that I think I stood out in most and the the character Jennifer Aniston's character I was a waiter in her house and the casting for it was like we need hot white male waiter. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, this is weird. That's me. Yeah. Um, but it was, I mean, it was a cool experience. It was, uh, it was like a week long thing on set to shoot one scene, uh, one or two scenes where we're just kind of like walking around this massive set that they built on a stage, Mm -hmm um, to look like a New York, a man, apartment. like a uh, sky yeah. apartment. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just, it was really neat. And then after that, not too long after that is when I got my next job. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that may be my, um, big debut and finale. Claim the fame. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: is it actually cheaper to build that set or is it, is it a set that's reused? Uh, it's, shows? it's
2: absolutely cheaper to build a set on a stage. Um, and you can absolutely reuse things if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a stage, so you break everything down. You just rebuild something else if you need to.
1: So a lot of those props, they're things that they'll use for other right. shows. Right? Yeah. Or movies, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, whenever you see the interior of a house, it is usually on a stage. Mm-hmm. Like they'll shoot exteriors, and then they'll go to a stage and build the interior, like full yeah. house. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly like Full House. <laughs> exactly like Full House and the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Um, I actually the the Brady Bunch house. The exterior of it is a five minute drive from where I live. Oh, nice. So I drove That's past cool. it the other day, and uh, they, yeah.
0: Is that on? Um, is it for sale or do they do Airbnb? They f- should do Airbnbs. Yeah,
2: that would be cool. Yeah. A few years ago, it was up for auction, and Lance Bass from In oh tried to to bid on it, and found out that there was a massive company that was also bidding on it that he never in his dreams would outbid oh yeah and it turned out that that was hgtv so oh yeah that's yeah, right. I didn't yeah hear about so that. they have it and wow. i think you know I'm, I'm sure they probably do something with it like allow yeah. people to come in and see it um huh. i'm sure it looks completely different from the actual like interior yeah. of the show
0: right because they just use it for the exterior shots, right. right yeah, yeah that's how um
2: works. really you shoot it once and then you have it like if you watch full house it's the same shot yeah uh, you just plug it in it's an establishing shot that's yeah. all you need it for right.
0: Yeah, I learned that a lot of, even like a lot of like airplane taking off and landings, there's just stock, it's just stock footage yeah. that they buy. Yep. Like it's not necessarily, they film that. They don't that. even film it? Right, yeah, yeah. They just buy it from a, a library of, uh, of already filmed airplanes. Yeah,
2: we're, we're crushing a lot of people's um, realities right yeah. now. Yeah, it's shattering. <laughs> yeah. I don't
1: even like movies anymore. Tell <laughs> us some more, tell
0: us some more um, interesting Hollywood secrets that can oh. shatter reality for some people. Mm. What's, what's, a, what's a couple good ones?
2: That's tough. I mean, it's only tough because I'm, I'm on the spot now and I have to think about yeah, it. I know. Um, no dead
0: air. Come on.
1: This is super authentic. We didn't prep you yeah. or anything. So, yeah. You know. yeah, very much and, so. That's what makes the best
2: part. Yeah. <laughs> very much so. Um, well, I, I mean, for a, a sort of cinematic spoiler, whenever you see like a massive scene with a, a large audience, right? Like say they're shooting uh, something in a football stadium. Mm-hmm. It's usually like a sliver of that uh, stadium uh, is shot at one time. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they'll stitch together. They'll just move a bunch of people around mm-hmm. and then stitch together a scene oh, based yeah. off of a handful of, you know, say you have like a hundred people, a thousand people in the stadium, and you got to fill 80,000 seats mm-hmm. or, you know, something ridiculous. Just keep moving them around. So, so keep the camera wardrobe. in one
0: spot and then shoot the scene move the people shoot another scene at the same angle that way they can just piece together
1: yeah. all the yeah. all the
0: humans in the different yeah. spots yeah
1: is that similar to what they do for uh scenes like like game of thrones where they have a bunch of people fighting a
2: bunch of extras yeah you know some of that stuff is authentic like they'll have a thousand extras but then yes they take that and with cgi They'll expand on that, Mm. you know. Crop out a few from the back and put them back even further. Mm -hmm. The way I've actually done been in scenes like this, where I was in a I was in a short film and I played a a Confederate soldier, and we had five people and we needed to make the scene look like thirty people, basically standing around this execution scene. And so they took the five of us and they lined us up one way, and then we moved over. They, they kind of knew where the line was mm-hmm. and there was a green screen that they would put on the edge of it. So then uh, you just move on the other yeah. side of that green screen, move the green screen down. So
0: easily pull the background. Yeah, down, right? nice. exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah. That's so That's, cool. that's, I mean, that's a little trick.
0: I went to, when I was in LA for the first time, I, um, it was so funny. I ended up going out, uh, to a house party of a buddy of mine and it was like a league of legends pro team. Oh, wow. And uh, it's like a bunch of, like, Korean dudes, mm-hmm. um, like, in their early 20s. Because once you hit, like, 21, 22, you, like, essentially age out. Because there's always, like, a younger oh, guy that comes in that's really? twice as fast. Yeah. Wow. It's, yeah. And all, they all had like, Model S Teslas and Ferraris. Because, <laughs> Ferrari, like... They come over to the United States, they get hired by this team, they get like $150,000 a year, and they're, they're all, the first thing they want to do is buy a nice car.
2: Right. <laughs> like, right. You know, they're like,
0: I'm going to get That's myself. the sign of
2: luxury, right? Yeah, like, right. Riches. And they're in mm-hmm. LA too. So it doesn't matter what your house looks people. like, it's the <laughs> yeah. car that you drive. <laughs> you so so they're all like living other in dudes. this house.
0: And um, they're all very awkward. Yeah. Because uh, they spend like 16 hours a day playing mm-hmm. behind a computer screen. Um, so there's not a lot of whole social. So it's this very, is like, a bunch of like Korean dudes, two white dudes, and uh, beer pong. And it was just like this yeah. weird oh, environment man. in this in the suburb of LA. But anyway, um, we ended up going to Universal and I got to see like the state some of the stages that like where the clock tower and back to the future was shot, oh, yeah. like the actual clock tower ty- tower still there, and then like the back lot, whatever right. you call it, and then like the field that they had just set up for, um, what was the Christopher Nolan film, the war epic he d- he did? Um, Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Yeah. So they shot some of like the beach scenes and uh-huh. this lot, and that was really cool too. And it, it kind of like, you know, again shattered some of the reality of like right. the magic of movies. And and uh, halfway through, we walked by or drove by because we're in this little little car that drives around. Um, you drive. Pa- we drove past a car commercial in the making, mm-hmm. and it was <laughs> it was like the middle of July. And they had like fake snow everywhere, yeah. and so yep. they're shooting this Christmas like winter car commercial in the middle of July. It was like ninety degrees out in, or no, it wasn't ninety; it was like eighty something in L.A. And it was just so. It was like, okay, yeah.
2: So it's, that's how that's. Done. It's all like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you watch Home Alone, like all of the uh, Christmas scenes they shot, like all of the snow in those scenes is completely fake. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I mean that's a, another great sort of secret of LA like at things for Christmas holiday seasonal stuff is shot in the middle of the summer mm-hmm. uh so when you see the actor like buried in the peacoat and, and and um scarf and their uh their beanie they're sweating to death yeah, yeah. I,
0: I always see like nice. the actor because I'm I'm a fairly sweaty guy most times <laughs> uh, which is kind of gross I apologize for you guys who are like we
2: didn't yeah if you're just that. listening and not watching yeah. he is drenched
0: uh, yeah right thre- no, um But I always see like these guys uh, in, especially like okay, like Supernatural Mm -hmm. is a show that I um, I've watched a lot of, and um, they always have like three shirts on. It's like the undershirt, then like a long sleeve shirt that, or um, uh, some something that uh, buttons up, and then like a jacket on top of that. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're shooting in L.A. In the yeah. summertime, it's like 75, 80 degrees. Right. There's no way you are su- not sweating your ass off. Yeah. Like the amount of ass sweat on, on set in Hollywood must be right. outrageous. All the smells, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it can be brutal for sure. Supernatural, fun fact, is actually shot in Vancouver. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, well, it, and a, a lot of uh, the CW shows are shot in Vancouver. Okay. Um, Vancouver, outside of LA in New York, is probably the next biggest hub for shooting things. And then Atlanta, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of things because it's all on the West coast as well. And mm-hmm. Canada gives those grants. Mm-hmm. Uh, A lot of things will go there to shoot and fake like they're in LA or something.
0: Yeah. The one of the, I heard one of the reasons why uh, going back to that show, um, uh, shoot, the one we talked about Blood, <laughs> from bloodline. Blood, bloodline. Yeah. yeah. Bloodline. The reason they like can- canceled the show effectively was the tax um, yeah. cuts or rebates had run out. Yeah, in Key West because they actually shot it in Key West, right, or in the Keys. Yeah,
2: Florida is not friendly to the film industry. Yeah, I it's think, very I don't expensive. I don't get it.
0: Like it-,
2: it, there's a there's a debate by some that you know you, you the rebates don't make up um, what's being spent there. I think that that's bullshit because I think the longevity of a series being somewhere eventually does make up for that. I mean, if you cancel something so early, like obviously it's not going to yeah. earn back what you, what yeah. the rebates that you gave them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's a great industry and it's only just more jobs for people. Yeah. The, the people who are interested in doing that stuff, not having to pack 14 million people into LA or however many in New York city, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Spread it out. People want to tell stories all over the country. And yeah. New Orleans is becoming a new one. Um, that's uh, exciting. Santa Fe or um, New Mexico in general, just shooting out there. That mm-hmm. Netflix, that's where their second hub is, oh. um, is out in New Mexico. Um, yeah, it's, it's growing. And more opportunities are presenting themselves. And, um, I, you know, I really wish Denver had more uh, industry here. That would
0: be cool. because I
2: think it's a beautiful city and I just think diversify, right?
0: Yeah, I I wonder um, as uh, it becomes cheaper to produce shows if you'll see a lot of things break out because of how much it costs to do stuff in Hollywood as like real estate becomes less and less. Um, And kind of pivoting from this, we talked a lot about a bit about like how fake things are for the magic of movies, Mm -hmm. a lot of California and LA specifically gets like the bad rap that like a lot of, there's a lot of fake people there. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, do you have any experience or can you talk to that a little bit?
2: Sure. I, you know, I personally in my work experiences, I've not come across really anybody in the film industry or a television industry that has presented themselves as sort of elitist or fake or um, something other than what they are. They're just trying to do their job. They're doing their job. Most of the people that I've interacted with are very humble, um, very serious about what they do. They love what they do. I think the reason why Hollywood gets the sort of reputation that it does is because, essentially, those are the people making the news. You know, when you see, like— you know, person from LA, uh, some some A-lister that uh, is making the news because of hi, um, some some A-lister making the news for some ridiculous thing. Well, they're making the news because it's ridiculous. It's outside of the norm, you know. Yeah. And LA is the same way as the rest of the country. I mean, there are just people trying to get by on bare bones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I am very I was very humbled to to come to understand that, come yeah. to learn that, you know, th- this isn't an industry full of just egotistical maniacs. Um, a lot of people are very kind. Tom Hanks has the reputation he has because he is that way. Yeah. Uh, not that I know him personally. I wish I did. He's um, an evil person. Yeah.
1: What about, I think we need to clear up something. Is Ellen actually a jerk?
2: <laughs> I, I mean, I really don't want this to come back and bite me in the ass someday, <laughs> but... I will say that I I have no experience with Ellen, but it is true that the first thing the the two first things that happen to you that you experience as being L.A. uh, as an L.A. experience is you either get a parking ticket or somebody tells you their horrible story about Ellen DeGeneres. Really? (laughs) Absolutely. That when you are working your way into the industry, somebody has something to say about Ellen. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's now it's no secret. Yeah. Like there, she and gets be- it. Rid- I think to, um, a perspective to, to take is the fact that her name is on the show. It is the show. Like it's mm-hmm. the Ellen show. Mm-hmm. So anything associated with the Ellen show is immediately associated with her. Mm-hmm. I think what's come out in the news is that some of the producers on the show have spoken on her behalf regarding certain issues that employees have had. Now there are accusations of her herself treating people poorly, but I think she's gotten branded with every bad experience that's happened on that show.
0: Yeah. True or untrue. Right. Well, whether she was involved or not not, directly or not,
2: Mm -hmm. um, that's the risk you take when you put your name on a a series, when you want to take ownership of something like that, Mm. you're taking ownership of all of the baggage that comes along with it. And a lot of, um,
0: kickback more recently is that she isn't taking a lot of ownership over it like right. the apology she gave on air was not sincere or yeah
2: I wonder how much of that isn't just sort of the culture that we live in now where we're so less willing to accept apologies mm-hmm. um, I mean it's absolutely true that there was an era that we went through where people could just apologize and, and we'd move on with our,
0: yeah, our lives and now we crucify people now
2: we're on the opposite end of yeah. that where it's like well, that wasn't you know, that's not good enough. Yeah.
0: We come, we're, we're in a current climate where, um, it's like enough is enough type Mm -hmm. of bullshit. So it's like, we want to make examples. one strike. You're out. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah, We want to make examples of people because we're, we're so fed up with how, how much injustice has gone on, uh, on, on, um, justified, I guess. Right. Yeah.
2: The unfortunate truth is somebody of Ellen's stature, her show could have been canceled. Mm hmm. And she would have never had to work a day in her life again.
0: Yeah, she's hella rich. Right. There, there's
2: no repercussions for her in canceling her. Yeah. So what do you do? You make her face the music, and that's the best you can really ask for. You can ask her to say, you know, you can ask her to actually invest in, in more and more charities and shine light on more social issues. And I think, though, for her, a lot of people see that as a veil for her show because she's the be kind person um but she's also stand up comedian in the, in the comedy world like they're not perfect people
0: yeah there's there's little rules to yeah. run through and you know i i'm not i'm not trying to say that like ellen should be crucified and sh- her show should be taken away and and then that's you know that's that right. but you know maybe something more sincere um maybe something more heartfelt yeah uh something more Maybe, I
2: don't know. Was um, her show
0: actually canceled?
2: No, she she, she just came back so. for another yeah. season. Okay. She was in, I mean, she, I had read that she was considering stepping away, but I don't think WB would ever let that happen. I mean, that's like money in it's the bank.
0: Ha- yeah. it's, a,
1: it's a money
2: yeah. pit. That yeah. show's
1: gotta be so easy to make, right? right? You just need to get famous people to come on and
2: Where talk people, about shit. Yeah, what people have to realize is, outside of Ellen, there are so many other people that rely on that job regardless of how you feel about her asking to cancel that show is getting rid of a hundred plus jobs. Yeah. yeah. And that's a big ask that I think people don't see because they don't know what's happening behind the scenes. They don't know that there's a production office. They don't know that there's a crew behind those cameras or behind the curtain. You know, there's so many people that have been on that series since it's uh, inaugural year. You know, they, they, 17 18 years now they've been working on that and that's been their steady income it's the thing that has allowed them to have a regular schedule so they can go home and see their kids at the end of the day and not have to work crazy overnights mm-hmm. on some feature somewhere yeah yeah um I so mean, there, there's that's a huge caveat to yeah. ask if, to all of these people that want to cancel that's mm-hmm. a good
1: point i was pretty uh disappointed i actually really like ellen yeah like she's i mean i still think i, I I don't know what actually went on, so I can't judge her, but I've always thought she's a really good person. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then like coming out and supporting uh, gay people, uh, that was really good. Uh, And a really risky thing for her, um, her career, which a lot of people won't do Yeah, for someone to do that. Yeah. um,
2: I think it's because she sort of fell into this category of do as I say, not as I do, mm -hmm. because behind the scenes, you know, she, she was not treating people, uh, kindly mm-hmm. uh, in some instances. I mean, there are rumors that she would just pick up on like a lowly production assistant. Uh, each week it'd be somebody else who she was going to make their lives a living hell. Yeah. Um, and point her frustrations on one person. And then you just live through that week. And then the next week it was going to be somebody else. And that's not a great culture. Yeah. Like, that's that's some, not a job that you want to go so, and show so, up. Sometimes,
0: yeah. um, you know, uh, per- TV personalities have, like the character they play on the show, yeah, and in 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 Ellen's instance, it's like this very lively, mm-hmm. very friendly person that talks and plays pranks on people, or like you know, uh, has uh, little kids on the show. Yeah, yeah, right. like
2: the, she's given a lot of great opportunities and, to people. Yeah, right.
0: and and behind the scenes, maybe that's not the same character she plays in real right. life. Right, right.
2: It's hard when you're of that elite status, and I don't mean to like throw you know uh, a swath of support behind like the extremely wealthy um and and shitty behaviors but there's a lot of expectations that come with that position you know a lot of people in the middle of the street saying like dance for me like i'm not a fucking monkey like that's that's kind of the perception that hardens you Mm -hmm. to social interactions Mm -hmm. and and you go kind of into a cocoon. Um, in which you don't want to be around other people, you know, yeah. unless they're the mo- the people that you most trust. Um, so I, I think that it, there is an overwhelming trust issue with a lot of people whose faces are the brand of something.
0: Yeah. And going back to like it's it's also in many cases a it's it's the haves with the, versus the have nots. Right. So it's like the low people um, saying like, oh, you're this rich person. You like. It's like you owe me something. Like right. you owe me to be Ellen a hundred percent of right. the time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like yep.
0: even though Absolutely. like it's impossible to be right. Ellen hundred yeah. percent. It's a TV show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean And anything less like fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like no. <laughs> I did <laughs> um,
2: I did this interview to be on uh you guys know who Wayne Brady is? Of course. From, yeah. So he hosts this game show. Uh I think it's Let's Make a Deal or something <laughs> like that. I've heard of it. I auditioned to be on that show. Nice. I thought I was going to an audition where it was like we're just going to ask you a few questions about yourself. It was a question. It was a, an audition that was like, how ridiculous are you willing to be for this show? <laughs> and for me, I'm not a very like excitable person. Like I'm I'm pretty subdued in conversation. I get excited about things when I'm talking about them, but I'm not going to like throw my arms up in the air. Yeah. And they wanted somebody who's going to dance in a ridiculous costume. And one, it was just like, there you go. Behind the scenes secret of like they're auditioning people for this. It's oh, not just totally. like pulling people out of the audience every yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, like that's not who they are. Like when you're seeing them, that's not who they are. Aaron Paul mm-hmm. um, was on the price is right before he was ever on breaking bad. And it's oh. so like a show that's like a sign like, Oh, he was clearly trying to break into the industry right. and yeah. this was an opportunity. Yeah.
0: A lot of these people on these game shows are just playing characters. Yeah. Right. Yep. They're playing eccentric, exciting. Cause that's what sells. Right. Yeah. The ridiculous, the exciting, the uh, the wild, like right. oh, did you see what happened last night on make a deal? Right. You know, like <laughs> yeah, it, 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 if sure. it was just regular normies on mm-hmm. TV, that's not exciting. That's no. not going to get you people watching that show. Like, right. So I get it. Like a hundred percent, everything's produced down to the you know the what's what's the floor tile on the uh, yeah. game show floor. Absolutely. You know? Like <laughs> yep, it's all engineered to sell the perfect product. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. like the news. Exactly. Ooh, snap. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that all said, everybody behind the scenes they're all great genuine. I mean, I don't want to say they're all great because I know people have had bad experiences, but that's mm-hmm. a personality thing. That's in any industry. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You're going to come across people that are just shitty.
1: Yeah, I'm sure also when when you're when you're famous, there's a certain like you know, oh, it's yeah. me. Like I not yeah. to, not to call Ellen, but like just as a person, right. I'm Ellen or right. you know whoever.
2: I mean, uh, I've not had. We were sort of talking about this before we started this, but I work for Amblin, which is Steven Spielberg's television. Mm-hmm. Or it's his company. I work for Amblin Television. Um, I've not interacted with Steven Spielberg one on one. I've been on a call that he's been on, and the way that people talk about him the way that I saw him interacting with other people, I couldn't help but just be in awe Mm -hmm. of him as just a human being. Like this is fucking Steven Spielberg (laughs) and he's just a cool dude. He's got, he's, you know, with his wits still, you know, for an older gentleman. Yeah. Um, he's, his mind works just as well as anybody else's creatively and people like worship him. And he has no real big ego about himself. Yeah. And I think that that is so incredible to find.
0: I think that just speaks to his, the longevity of his career. I mean, you see a lot of people fall out of Hollywood because Mm -hmm. they have nasty, like Chevy chase, like had a stint where nobody would work with them. What's the girl from the ugly truth? Um,
2: Oh, uh, Catherine Heigl.
0: Yeah, also another person that fell out of Hollywood because she just became a terrible person to work with. Right, Um, They make
2: the vetting process super easy on themselves (laughs) when they say shit in public that they shouldn't say.
0: Yeah, And they critique
2: the work that they were paid millions of dollars to do. Mm -hmm. Like, what?
0: And how amazing is it to meet somebody famous like that, like Tom Hanks, like you brought up, that Mm -hmm. is actually like a really cool, chill person. Yeah. And not some weirdo, like, maniac or mean person. Right. I was like, no, you're Forrest Gump. Yeah. And he was like, (laughs) (laughs) like, yeah, I grew up watching you and Hey, it's so cool that you're actually a really cool guy. Yeah. um, Yeah. When you're not in front of a camera
2: and the vetting process is very real in Hollywood. Like this is why you see people not getting jobs anymore. I mean, these production companies, they're not shy about saying like, we don't want to work with that person. Like they do not have a good reputation. They don't treat people well. Um, you, you only get so many strikes before you're you know you're really having to correct your persona and the character that you've put mm-hmm. out into
0: the world. Because I'm sure it's going to cost the production company more money when you're a hassle to work with. Right. So, uh, so it's like, okay, how much is it worth you being you? <laughs> so, right.
1: Like, well, that was half the reason that uh, whoever produced House of Cards, was it Netflix? Mm-hmm. No. Yes. Was it? Yeah, yeah well, it was yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Dropped, uh, what's his name?
2: Oh no. uh yeah, yeah. um I mean I'm blanking Kevin Underwood. Spacey. Yeah, Kevin Spacey. Was yes. because
1: not only did he have these allegations now, but he also apparently was a shithead yeah. and really difficult to work with. So Creepy. It was, like, good Creepy. Makes, Creepy dude. makes it easy. <laughs> right. Yeah,
2: stuff like that, you definitely you're not coming back from that. That's, mm, um, that's no tough. matter how many YouTube videos you yeah, put right. up, trying <laughs> to so play weird. that character. <laughs> Creepy yeah. YouTube videos. yeah. That and, one I am not afraid to talk shit about him. Yeah. Um in fact, were you touched I, by Frank? No, I was not. But I, <laughs> I went to grad school with somebody whose really good friend was. Oh, oh yeah, wow. yeah. Like wow. it was, it was a um, not a not a secret. No, yeah, not a secret. It's like it was one of those secrets that wasn't a secret in the industry. Mm. I when I was working my internships, one of the assistants at the production company where I was interning was Harvey Weinstein's second assistant. Ooh, yeah. So wow. and. Everything fit the bill. Like he, I mean, he obviously didn't know about these sexual assaults, but his shitty behavior Mm -hmm. was something that was very well known. Yeah. I
0: feel like it's, there's nobody that is standing up for, well, I guess like Matt Damon was like, I had no idea.
2: Well, and and that's another aspect (laughs) to it. Like people who sit in their homes in central Florida watching daytime TV, not to knock them, but you don't know what you're talking about when you say like, oh, that person obviously knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that was a work relationship. That yep. was somebody who signed on to foot the bill for a project that I was really passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How the fuck am I supposed to know what they're doing up in a hotel room Yeah, yeah. in the middle right. of the night? Yeah. like or Kevin's... behind his locked door office. Right, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Unless you've actively been told by a victim, you would have no idea. You would just know that guy's a shitty guy, but and he even, has good yeah. taste in movies. And, and even
0: then, you're like, well, you're not you're a nobody. Why would I trust you? Are you just saying that to right. like crucify somebody that maybe fired you? Right. Like what's your, you have a vendetta against this person. Is that why you're saying that right. he like tried to make a move on you? Mm-hmm. Um. So there's a, I, there's like that trust issue too. Especially yeah, like, if that person has that facade and f- to the public, they mm-hmm.
1: seem like a really nice, good person or whatever. Uh, right. And then you hear something about them and you're like, no way.
2: Right. 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 And Harvey Weinstein was, the king and queen maker. Like Mm -hmm. when he came onto the scene in the late eighties, early nineties and his company was investing in American independent auteurs like Quentin Tarantino and Kevin Smith. um, Mm -hmm. He just started producing Oscar winners, but then you find out like, Oh, the Oscars are rigged to an extent.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) They're
2: political campaigns. People will shop the, the, the movie star for a particular movie around to win votes for their movie, I um I had a film go to a film festival once, and I met John Ashton, who was in the Beverly Hills cop uh, cops movies. Okay, um, and he was also in Midnight Run, so he's big in the eighties, eighties um, and nineties. But sweet, sweet person, incredible. Uh, spoke with us. Uh, my fiance Laura and I for an hour at least about just like his experience in the industry and sort of the stuff that interests him. And he was just, it was nice to meet somebody who had been in the graces of Eddie Murphy and, um, you know, some of the most elite Hollywood, uh, people, but he's also a part of the Academy. Uh-huh. And he told us, he's like, I don't watch all those movies. I, 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 I pick the ones that, I think are most interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's like that just it kind of strips the power away from you know what you think is happening. Yeah. Um, with those award shows. Yeah. So I have a very love hate relationship because what I I am very happy like Moonlight won Best yeah. Picture. Yeah. Um and, and for the most part,
0: all the movies up for Best Picture are great films. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean you yeah. have your green book years. Mm-hmm. Where people, where it's very contentious, and people are like, "That was a safe choice," like, right? right. Um, and Moonlight absolutely deserved to win Best mm-hmm. Picture for its year. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from that crew. Um, and you know what? That could have also been just because of the the social movement at the time, the way that the culture was changing, the landscape. So that could have totally. been something more authentic than what typically happens. Yeah. Um, but my love hate relationship is I love it when something like moonlight wins because that's not only great for those independent filmmakers but it's great for the school that we went to because mm-hmm. it was a, you know mostly Florida State alum um and it's great for me in my career because I can say like I went to the same program that Barry Jenkins went to mm-hmm. yeah um but then the hate relationship is just like oh, the fact that it is political yeah. like that that feels wrong to it me shouldn't be yeah, yeah. it feels dirty.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. It, it just—it doesn't. Uh, it's like—it's uh, like opening the curtains behind something. Yeah. More. Yeah. Sinister. Yep. Yeah.
2: Don't look at the man behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I wish the wizard was real. Um, the wizard. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of yeah. like
1: how you ruined like movies and TV
2: shows for me. For everybody. Sorry. <laughs> you know, know what? Even knowing it, uh, it, it won't bother you. Like yeah. you—you'll yeah, yeah, be I mean, so they're... ingrained in right. it. Yeah. I, I will say that having gone to school for screenwriting has made watching things more difficult because I'm watching them with a critical eye now towards the storytelling aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a sense of production and how things are done. And so sometimes I'll pick up on those, the the, the little bits that stand out that I'm like, I don't like that, but mostly it's in the storytelling in the sort of beat by beat. I don't think people realize like, storytelling itself there is a true structure it's there is a bit of an equation a formula to it and that's Mm -hmm. not taking anything away from the storytellers because if we look at christopher nolan we can see how he plays with the formula Mm -hmm. you can still find it in there but he presents it in a way that is compelling yeah um i would imagine
1: when you see these masterpieces or works of art you can really appreciate them a lot more actually than someone who uh, doesn't really understand it or they're just there to see the movie or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah. yeah. So there's
0: pros and cons. Yeah. I guess. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we can wrap this up.
2: Sweet. I'm yeah. cool with that. If you guys are cool yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah. Great podcast. We're about like two yeah. hours in. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> feel really like interesting. barely scraped surface. All right. Well, this yeah. was fun. Was yeah. Awesome guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being on. Yeah. And, of course. Uh, enjoy anytime. the rest of your time. Anytime Colorado. I'm in Denver. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. We'll have you on. No worries.
2: Dopey dope, dope, dope.
0: (laughs) Cool. Thanks, friends, for listening and watching. Till next time, adios. Peace.